Driving that coach. 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 And welcome to another edition of Driving That Culture with JD and AJ. I'm JD. I'm AJ. And uh, welcome back, guys. Uh, like I said, we uh, did not have a show last week uh, due to the situation that's going on in our country right now. Well, really, around the world right now. Yeah. Uh, particularly the uh, protests uh, in the wake of the death of George Floyd and also uh, the another uh, roaring um, set of, uh, you know, Statistics with the pandemic and, and the basically those those two colliding with each other almost at the same time, but really the main focus right now is that again the protests of George Floyd that are basically taken worldwide. Uh, you look online, you see uh, uh, pictures of protests in like Britain and Amsterdam and Ukraine and Australia. Yeah, it's really taking a worldwide uh, stance here. Uh, so many people are being recon, uh, recognized in the fact that yeah, this is a system that is not working. It's uh, basically been two justice systems, more or less since the inception of it, you know, one for whites and the other ones for people of color. Uh, and people are sick of it. And they are voicing their pains of it. Um, there have been some violence uh, in terms of it, like protests on both sides, both cops and people posing as protesters, using the movement itself as a excuse to cause damage and uh, all this, all this, uh, yeah, like I said, all this violence and vandalism and all this good stuff, just so they can, you know, take advantage of this stuff. But the real root of the of the issue is the Black Lives Matter movement, um, stating that you know, black people just want a chance to live as free as anybody else in this country. And, uh, systemically, it's been shown over and over again that in some cases that's not true. Uh, and people, like I said, it's tired of it. Like, I actually had a conversation with another friend of ours, I'm not going to say who, but he's like, I'll just wait for this thing to calm down and go to normal. I was like, you know what? With the pandemic and this on top of that, there is no normal anymore. That's really that's what it is, AJ. We on, yeah. Dude, we are on the cusp of the new world. Look, man, like like we were talking about before, I mean, the, the reality is there's a lot of stuff going on, a lot of things in play across the board. You know, the only thing, I, I've heard people say this before. In fact, I was listening to this, uh, this lady talking about it. Um, my friend uh, Jamila had, had shared this post. Basically, her whole crux was she's got this thing up in her, her home that in one of the bathrooms. So she looks at it, everyone looks at it, and says, be the change you want to you want to see in the world, you know. I mean, we can we can all get upset all day long about a variety of different things, and you know that's not to say that there isn't reason or that some of that stuff's not used. Kind of forget, especially when you get into you know the social media side of stuff and trying to just make it on the social media side. Is it can be as simple as starting with you. How do you treat other people? Right. I mean, to to co-opt a phrase from Ellen, love each other which is also kind of co-opted the phrase from Jesus. I mean, you know, I, I'm a Christian guy. I, I know you've got that background in there too, man. It's like, it's so, it's so simple at the end of the day. So, you know, regardless of, of where you are on the political spectrum, left, right, center, communist, anarchist, totalitarian, whatever it is, I think we should all at least be able to get together on one thing. That's, let's love each other. Let's treat each other right. If we got that, 
you know, I mean, look, you, you and I come from two extremely different worlds that you can put that a million different ways. We love mm-hmm. you can spend so much time together the last few years, and it's one of my favorite, my high points of the week, sitting down and just bullshit and do all this comedy and, and history and film stuff with you, man. It's like, it's what I look forward to the most. Um, Likewise, man. I love this shit. Are you kidding me? Great. I think, yeah. I think that's, that's what we all should be focused on. Find what your thing is, you know? If you like to go camping, find some people you enjoy doing that with, hang out with them, camp, want to read books, you know, start making friends at the library or whatever. But if you can get that interpersonal mm-hmm. interaction, eat some info, yeah. that's what it is. I mean, you know, I've, I can go on all of these hundreds of different books right about this kind of shit, but people always act out of ignorance and fear, especially when it comes to negative reactions to others. The more you travel, the more people you talk to, the more you open yourself up to talking to people who might have a different life experience than you, the more mm-hmm. all-rounded you're going to be, the fuller your life's going to be, and ultimately the happier you'll be. Yeah. Uh, just to reiterate, uh, I hate camping. Just, just, just so we're clear on that. I don't, don't, don't ever attempt to take me camping. I, I, I wouldn't. I've, I've heard enough of your stories from your, your service time. I'm not gonna yeah, I, 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 I don't I, do camping. I, I love you. You're my, you're, my, you're my boy, man. I'm not going to make you go camping. Unless camping is like a Motel 6 in Vegas or something to the brook. Like, that's the most camping yeah. I'd ever ask you to do. And even then, that's an adventure in itself. Yeah, but at least we're <laughs> in Vegas, right? <laughs> there's, there's that. Like I said, I love you too, brother, and I always look forward to the show. This has always been a highlight. Uh, my week, especially now, because the fact that you know it's been mostly just mostly just work for like the last little bit or whatever, and work and stuff that's going on in the world. You know what I'm saying? I just everybody needs an escape, and I always look forward to this. And I, like I said, since this is this is the whole thing has gone down, I got a lot of people hitting me up like they are loving the show because of the fact that they love the camaraderie between the two of us. You know what I'm saying? Like black man and a white man sitting here talking about the same geeky shit because we both love it. Because we're both gigantic geeks at heart. I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah. So, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, it's a simple phrase. Quality. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard for some people? Um, Because they're assholes. What are you going to do about it? That's true. I mean, you and I are just two... Which starts in our commonality. We're both Americans. We've both got family roots going back here in a variety of different ways. We were able to, and this is something that's unique. You got to remember about our our space and time to a lot of others. You got all kinds of folks coming from all kinds of different places, which gives you the opportunity to meet a million different kinds of folks, learn a million different kinds of ways of doing and thinking about stuff. And ultimately, like I said, you get to have a more fulfilling and kind of rich experience in life instead of, I mean, I hate to put it this way, but like, dude, if you're just eating Wonder Bread and PB&J sandwiches, your whole life in a little town like where I came from. Shit's depressing, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I want to be able to yeah. go out a burrito and then go get some dim sum, you know what I mean? Like, I, I want to, yeah. I like that variety, right? Like, somebody else has said, what, variety is the spice of life. Yeah, I, actually, I was just saying the same thing because I had, like, Mexican for, like, the last five days straight. I don't know why. So I just had a, I changed it up and got a chicken sandwich today. I feel so much better. Well, and you know what? That's one of the best things about us living in California is you actually get legit good Mexican food. Because I'll tell you, man, Utah's a little hit and miss. I mean, I, thankfully, I got a couple friends out there that you know, they can show me the, the right way to go as far as what restaurants to avoid. But like Wyoming, mm-hmm. 
I mean, look, I, I love my Wyoming people, but come on. <laughs> no, no bueno. <laughs> no, no bueno. <laughs> You're lucky you didn't find Yes. Yeah. All right, so we got that out the way, folks. Let's go ahead and get into the fun. Let's get into the show as we usually do the shit. Now, we're going to start out with a favorite here on the show, Seven Degrees of Eddie Murphy, which is where I can connect any major American film star to the great Eddie Murphy within seven films. So what you got for me this week here, AJ? Well, uh, somewhat topical. I'm going to start with Mr. David Spade. Oh, that's super easy. Uh, David Spade was not I, I, You know what? I could go the traditional route. I'm going to go I'm going non-traditional route. He's an SNL guy. He's got lots of contacts. So yeah. yeah, David Spade was, uh, I'll go this route. David Spade was in Senseless with Marlon Wayans. Marlon Wayans was in Norbert with Eddie Murphy. All right. Now getting a little I could have went, yeah, went the SNL route, but I was like, you know what, let's, let's change it up. Granted, because, I mean, David Spade through Farley and everything, Chris Rock for that matter, I mean, it's just it's a straight line. Right? But – like I said, an easy one, but getting a little more difficult, uh, Mr. Bill Burr. Hmm. Hmm. Has Bill Burr done any movies? Yes, he has. I double-checked, so I wasn't just hitting you with somebody who's doing stand-up specials. Date night. I'll give you date night. Tina Fey. Oh, okay. Thank you, thank you. Give me that. Okay, that, that is all I need to know. Okay. You was in date night? I've never seen that movie. I haven't seen it either, but I, I don't because <laughs> I wanted to use Bill. I was like, oh, I'd like to do Bill Burr. Because I saw him at that, that place you and I used to go to, and I was like, yeah, I like Bill. That'd be, that'd be he's a funny guy. Yeah, but, like, my thing is, uh, I always rem- the only thing I remember of that movie is the commercials, because they had, like, Mark Wahlberg. It's a really hot chick. And the really hot chick was like, it, it was like, it was a Tina Fey and Steve Carell. They're the couple in the movie. Yeah. And they were sitting there in some place, and then, uh, the girl's like, have you come to make these sex with us? And he's like excited. She's like, the wife is mortified. And, he, and then she leaves and like, uh, Mark Burr's, Mark, <laughs> my Warburg's like, yeah, she's great. Yeah, she seems it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what the fuck? Uh, yeah, we go. Right. Uh, but yeah, okay, so just, we'll get with that. Uh, Bill Burr was in Date Night with Tina Fey. Tina Fey was in, ah, Tina Fey was in Sisters with, yeah, yeah. Tina Fey was in Sisters with Maya Rudolph. Maya Rudolph was in Bridesmaids. Was she in Bridesmaids? No, 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 no. I, I take it back. Let's go back. Let's go back. Let's go back. I'm still going to say the same route. Bill Burr was in Date Night with Tina Fey. Tina Fey was in Sisters with Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler. Yeah, let's go this route. Amy Poehler was in. Ah, Blades of Glory with uh, Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell was in Yeah, 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 okay, 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 okay. Yeah, going through the mo- going through the Rolodex, man. Well, <laughs> uh, Will Ferrell was in uh, uh, Don't want to go this yeah, it's like it's like it's every time I discover a route, it's like do I want to go that way or do I want to go this way? Uh, Will Ferrell was ah yeah, I sure can. Okay, Will Ferrell was in Anchorman Two. Will Smith. Will Smith was in Ali with Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett was in The Nutty Professor with Amber. So, 
Got it on the seventh. Oh! <laughs> I almost bad now with the uh, the deep cut we're about to go for because I don't know if you can get that. I, I'm I'm not even on my own. Okay, you know what? At this point, I'm a little rusty, but I'm confident. Go for it, Judy Garland. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> right now. I have not seen this face for a minute. I might have a Mandy Moore moment. <laughs> you want you want me to make it a little easier? Give you a pass? I can get you to yeah. one get you another deep cut that's actually pretty quick. Dick Van Dyke. Okay, okay, okay. Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke. Okay. Okay, I got this one. This one I got. Okay. Uh, Dick Van Dyke was in Mary Poppins with Julie Andrews. Julie Andrews was in 10 with Dudley Moore. Dudley Moore was in Best Defense with Eddie Murphy. That is not the direction I thought you were going to go, but that works. I figured you were going to do Night at the Museum. I could do that, but I was like, yeah, with the Ben still of that. But I was like, that, this is the first one that popped in my head. That's fine. All right, well, look, we'll, we'll give it to you. So the deep cut, I actually got a deep cut faster than I got fucking Bill Burr. I mean, I said, until you said that, I didn't even realize the only thing I've seen Bill Burr in, other than the stand up, was on Chappelle's show, and he also it was on The Mandalorian. Those are the only things I know. He's also in Breaking Bad, but now, did you ever watch that? I, I never watched Breaking Bad. It's look, it's pretty solid. If you can get, if you can get, uh, I'd say from from me, it took probably about five or six episodes, and then I was hooked. Yeah. One of my uh, one of my buddies back in my couch surfing days, which lasted way longer than I would like to admit, when I was first trying to make it out of here. Uh, Josh, you know him. I, I was staying yeah. on his couch, and he was really into the show at the time, so he started watching it. And I had a rule when I was couch surfing: whatever the host wants to watch is what we're watching, right? Because you know, I'm I'm lucky to be there. Yeah. Dude, Six episodes in, I was like, shit, well, now I got to watch this until it gets canceled. And I did. And it was, I got to say, fantastic writing. So, which you should, you should I've heard, I've heard, yeah, heard that. Yeah, I've heard that, yeah. yeah. Uh, people like, everybody, every couple of years, everybody has that one show. It's like, you have to watch every season of the show. It's the greatest show in television history, that, that type of shit. Like, I would say probably the only other one after that that got me is good, right up until it was the second to last season was House of Cards. The last maybe five or six episodes of House of Cards. Really? That was pretty solid writing. Okay. So, yeah. Anyway. Uh, for me, it was The Wire. I remember that. Dude. Everybody's crazy about The Wire. But The Wire is a great show. I was the last one to the party on that one. Back, back when you and I first met, I was hanging out with yeah. Phil. Uh, Phil got one of the guys to put it on the big screen. And Phil was telling me I need to watch the show. It was one of the ones from like season three or four, you know, the one with the kids where they follow the yeah. kids through it. Dude, I mm -hmm. went home. I had Amazon Prime. I binged right through all that shit. Omar Little, <laughs> one of my all-time favorite characters. He's a fantastic fucking character, man. So well written. Anyway, we can get off that. That's an episode. We can do the wire now. All right. So we got uh, <laughs> we got uh, David Spade, Bill Burr, and and fucking. Dick Van Dyke in lieu of Judy Garland. Like, for, for Black Folks, the only, for Black Folks, the only movie that they know of Judy Garland is fucking The Wizard of Oz. That's it. It's the only one I know. 
Yeah, exactly. No, no, nobody knows any other fucking Judy Garland movies. Just the fucking Wizard of Oz. Well, it's like only a handful of people would even think anything beyond Casablanca for Humphrey Bogart, right? It's like maybe they'll think the Maltese Falcon. Maybe. I just about to say that's my other choice was the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, and then High Sierra. Maybe High Sierra if they're really big film files. Well, what's that shit? Uh, the Big Goodbye or the Long Goodbye? Oh shit, I don't even know that one. Mm-hmm. But same thing, it's another one of those detective movies. I think it's, I think it's, I think, no, The Big Sleep. That's what it is, The Big Sleep. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I never saw same it. Thing. It's, it's same thing. It's the same as the Maltese It's another detective movie. Well, look, yeah. you, you did good, man. Besides, now you can, when you get done, you can go ahead and research it so you've got it locked away for when I finally throw Judy Garland back out there again in a couple of weeks. You would do that shit too, wouldn't you? No, what I would do is I'd wait two years and then do it when we got a bigger audience. When I'm not even, when I'm not even thinking about the shit, like, like exactly. no, the fuck you did not. I know the fuck you did not. And I remember this moment when you're like, I got you, I stomped you. Bring, bring fucking Judy Garland back. Hey, man, I have to hold on to Mandy Moore with you because that's the only time I got it so far. I'm still pissed at you, man. I'm still pissed at you, man. <laughs> All right, well, you know, let's we got it, we got that done. Let's go ahead and move on to uh, WWBS. What will Busey say? Well, I do an improvised rant as the great Gary Busey. Now, what is Gary ranting about today, AJ? Well, I'm I'm kind of enjoying, I think, being able to do a little more direction by posing it as a question. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm going to work as a question again this week. So the question is: Pygmy goats, nature's clown. Or satanic vessel. Pygmy goats. I like pygmy goats. You know why? Because when you look into their eyes, you see the future. Think about that, man. Pygmy goats. Not assuming. You wouldn't assume this will be the animal unless you see your lifetime in a flash. And yet, it happens. Pygmy goats. I'll tell you right now, man. Do I think they're a vessel of the devil? Absolutely. Absolutely. They serve the dark master. And they know it. I mean, they're cute. It's kind of unassuming. They're spawn of the devil, man. Straight spawn of the devil. You know what? I'm going to take a pygmy goat one day. Stare into his eyes, and probably get transported to the seventh level of hell, you know, Malbosia. See the Dark Master himself. That made my claim for the throne, man. It's only a matter of time. I mean, I'm meant for it, bro. You've ever seen my work? You've seen my, my rantings? I was made for that. I was made for that title, man. Lord of the Underworld. But we have pygmy goats. Yeah. Tiger blood. How's that? I'm definitely gonna keep posing this stuff as a question. <laughs> I like I like what you do that way too. Because <laughs> I get to give it just a little bit more direction in, in one way or another for some crazy. Because you, so, you can very easily take it to like a, a weird kind of tripped out place talking about the clowning nature of them. <laughs> It's almost like a Bob Saget in the uh, 
Yeah. America's funny to have a video thing. But you can also <laughs> the the yeah. Bob Saget laugh. <laughs> <laughs> or you can just go straight into some weird satanic hell skin. And either way, that's the way. The Jim Carrey Bob Saget laugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, I forgot. It's looking through you. <laughs> See you later on America's Funniest Home Videos. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Got you there, didn't I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> I got myself now. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Don't worry, folks. We're yeah. free. away from me. I'm not passing the bid. Yeah, we're professionals. <laughs> I just said I want to call it the vid rather than the Rona. Oh, shit. Okay, okay. Oh, <laughs> getting crying over here, but okay. All right, let me, let me go. All right, so we're gonna go ahead and get into dropping that news. So uh, let, me, let me do my thing. Dropping that news. Thank you. Okay, so this is uh, going to what's going on in the world right now. Oh, uh, first thing that popped up, I think this came up yesterday. Cops. The bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? In light of the recent protests of George Floyd around the world, the Paramount Network has finally decided to actually cancel Cops after 31 years on the air. I remember it started out on Fox, and I guess it moved to the Paramount. I didn't even know it was still on the air, to well, be honest so, with you. So what had happened was they'd been with Fox until I think it was 20, 20 years, 2013 or 2015. I think it was 13. Um, and there's an activist group called uh, Color of Change that was going after Fox to get them to drop it. And to be honest, the numbers, because you also got to remember to track it on the business side. So you went from back in the 60s, four channels. We started getting around a couple hundred channels, you know, depending on where you live in the U.S. So now it's like literally millions of channels, streamers, everything else. So the numbers had dropped enough, plus the political pressure. So Fox had dropped it, and it originally went to Spike. So it was Spike TV, which was rebranded like three years ago, four years ago, to the Paramount Network. So they just rolled it over with the original deal. And then partly because of what they got going on now, but also, I mean, yeah, have you seen Live PD? You ever see that show? Yeah. So the idea is it's supposed to be live versus cops, which is like you don't know. So the idea is since it's live television, it's supposed to be more raw. Who knows what's going to happen? So between right. that, uh, 5,000 other cop shows and everything else, there's just one of those things where Paramount's like, look, it's not worth the headache. You know, these guys have been after them for a while. And I mean, you know, because you, you, you got the argument and what, what Color of Change is pushing, saying, you know, it's putting minorities in a negative light. Um, I'm going to say as somebody who literally was born into a trailer home single wide, doesn't exactly put us in the best light either. So there's, there's enough in there. There's been enough people that like, mm, you know, we keep seeing the same people over and over again. Like, Shit. Maybe it's time to give it a break. Also, I uh, forgot to mention this actually at the beginning. Um, I was actually able to take part in a protest uh, this past Sunday uh, in West Hollywood. And like I said on my Instagram, it's the first time I actually rode through Hollywood since all this popped off. And yeah, they destroyed Hollywood. It was tore. Pretty much everything was boarded up. It, literally, it was literally the quietest I've ever seen in Hollywood since I lived there. 
there was nobody out there. You see, like white folks jogging and protesters. That's literally it. Like, like everybody else is gone. Yeah. But then, like a couple. So what? I said, who goes out for a jog in the middle of this shit? You'd be surprised. There's a bunch of them out there. <laughs> There's a bunch of motherfuckers out there. The world's burning. I gotta keep my car up. Got they got they after armor and the fucking they got the under armor and they got the fucking headphones on. They are going out there, man. It's crazy. Right. But uh, yeah, it was a small protest in West Hollywood. Uh, most of the people in the uh, in the protest uh, thing were gay. They put themselves out there, but mostly mostly gay females. And you know they were talking, and it was it was a beautiful thing. They did a, a quick protest where they did the thing on the ground where you know everybody's on on the ground face down for eight minutes and forty six seconds. At uh, the same time, it took for unfortunately for George Floyd to pass away. And also, they did songs and they did spoken word about equality, and it was very moving. I brought water and uh, stayed a little bit, talked to some people, and uh, then, you know what I'm saying, just, I did just kind of survey the damage a little bit, and I headed out. A couple hours later, they did the big uh, Black Lives Matter protest, and on Hollywood Boulevard was like 10,000 people. Uh, that was just a couple hours later. I was already gone by then anyway. But, uh, it's like I said, it's, if you just get to one, man, it's it's a beautiful, it's a very moving experience, especially if it's peaceful. It's a beautiful thing, man. Beautiful thing. All right, so let's, let's go ahead and get back to the news real quick. Uh, oh, yeah, Big Trailer actually released this past week, and I'm very happy about this. I think you saw it on my Belsaverse. Bill and Ted, face the music. <laughs> so... Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves are back as Bill and Ted. They're both in their fucking 50s now. And <laughs> still doing the rock and roll, get down. And and from what I've seen, the premise of the movie is, if you remember the first two movies, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, the whole premise was Bill and Ted was supposed to be these, like, you know, chosen ones. They're supposed to bring about, you know, virtually the equality of all people on Earth. You know what I'm saying? Bring about peace on Earth. Uh, through a song that they do together. Unfortunately, they haven't written that song yet. And they, like I said, they're in their 50s. And they, oh, they, they, I mean, shit, man. <laughs> yeah, they, are, they, they, they have not written that song yet. Uh, but fucking, um, yeah, they got to, <laughs> the whole get down is they got to find this song because before, you know, all of humanity gets wiped out. All of reality really gets wiped out. So, like I said, I'm very happy to see Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, but Keanu Reeves doing the whoa and all that shit again. Because <laughs> that's been hogging, that's pretty much been hounding him his entire career. He gave that shit up, became a straight guy in terms of acting, and then comes right back to it. You know what? He, he's probably enjoying the break from all the stunt work he's been having to do with the John Wick uh, franchise because that just beats the hell out of your body. Yeah, man. And I remember him saying, like, uh, every time, like, there were many days where he just, like, at the end of the day, he would just be in a tub of ice. Just I believe decompressing. It. Yeah. And see, he said the same thing after the Matrix movies, too. You know, like, see, he's done all these great movies, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially the stunt work movies, where it required him doing Kung Fu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and shit like that, you know? Uh, so yeah, like I said, I'm happy to see them both together. Plus, I, I love the team of him and Alex Winter. They do, they have really, they've always had great chemistry. You know what I'm saying? And you know, I mean, to be honest, I think uh, I think Keanu Reeves has kind of been underrated with with a lot of folks on the comedic side, but he's pretty solid. In fact, he does a he does a cameo in um, if I remember, right, I believe the movie's called Always Be My Maybe. It's this uh, rom com. Yeah, I know the Asian girl, uh, uh, Ali Wong. Yeah, with Ali Wong. Yeah, I, w- I watched it with my wife a while ago, and 
he plays this really kind of fucked up weird version of himself because it's supposed to be a cameo that he's he, like he's Keanu Reeves in the thing and you know it's probably because he's what a quarter Japanese or something so they're they're making because there's the his being Asian has something to do with you know what's going on and this girl who may, may not be into this whole thing but the character version of himself that he does which is nothing like what you've ever heard or seen with anyone who's met him or any of the stuff he does on the public relations side like it borderlines some juicy level crazy dude like it's really it, it's one maybe two scenes in the whole thing fucking like totally worth the watch yeah i think the weirdest cameo i ever seen him do was uh in the movie keanu where he was the voice of the cat oh. for like a sequence the key yeah. appeal movie keanu yeah. <laughs> but, but like I was saying, the main thing is, I feel like he just, he's, he gets underrated as a comedic side because he did mm-hmm. the Bill and Ted version and then he went and did all this, you know, more straight acting stuff with like, you know, Point Break and the rest of it with the action star. He really is a- oh yeah, he was also, uh, I was going to say, he's also in that, the last Toy Story. He was a, he was an evil Knievel toy. Oh, I didn't see that one. That's Toy Story 4? Yeah. Okay. Toy Story 4. He's an evil, he's like an evil Knievel-like toy, you know what I'm saying? So. Okay. He's a Canadian evil. He's a Canadian evil Canadian because he has the Canadian colors. Hmm. So. All right. But uh, yeah, man. Fucking okay. So we got that down. Let's see. Let's we'll see if there's anything else. It's not really much else. Like I said, the really the big thing going on is the protests and the pandemic. Yeah. I mean, there's there's some talk right now. There's a few folks that are trying to get rid of all cop shows. Um, there's that producer from Dick Wolf got uh, got fired. He's he's working on one of Wolf's projects. I can't remember what of the one of the uh, Law and Orders. Uh, so you know, I mean, there's there's some stuff around that. I mean, the question is whether or not they start pulling back on the Law and Orders, those kinds of uh, TV shows right now. But I mean, we'll see. This is all new stuff that's happened the last day or two. And uh, officially, LA, uh, unless some changes in the next couple of days, officially next Monday, technically even Saturday, they can begin production again. Um, you know, from what I'm hearing from folks out there, it's a mixed bag. It's whether or not anything's going to be starting as early as next week because I think people are still waiting to see what's going on with the riots. They want to make sure that, you know, they can get access to them from the studios because, you know, the protests they had going on in Hollywood, they're not shooting anything over on Sunset and Gallery, not shooting anything in Paramount. You could maybe shoot at Disney or Warner's, but then how do you know a protest doesn't show up over there too? So, you know, it's... I haven't heard, I haven't heard anything in terms of protests in Burbank. Oh, that's what I'm saying. You haven't heard, but, you know, if these protests uh, organizers get a little quicker, a little smarter, kind of go back to the old school way they used to do in the 60s. Um, they're not using social media as much. And so, like, at least the protests we've had down in Orange County, we're not finding out about them down here until usually a couple hours before, maybe the day before. Um, yeah. So having a, a less time like that is good if you want to protest, make sure you can go there it's negative from a production standpoint because no completion bond company, no studio wants to sign off on restart production. If they're worried, they're going to get shut down. I know you and I remember the, the Rodney King riots. You know, you had that truck driver in Long Beach got pulled out and beat up. There's all those insurance things that these companies don't like to talk about that they're thinking about. And so that's why for production specifically, um, you know, anywhere that's still having a lot of trouble with protests, I don't think you're going to see people getting back to production for a minute because, like, I mean, I know even before all this happened, when it was just a COVID thing, I was talking with certain production companies that, you know, they could be really big shows that had started filming and we just loaded on the stage in February that they were telling me in March they weren't coming back until September. Um, 
just concerned about how long it would take and I wanted to make sure there was enough of a reset period. So officially we're supposed to be getting the green light. Um, reality, it's yet to be seen when we'll actually be able to get back to the content. So. All right. All right, so that's basically been dropping that news. That's really about it. So let's go ahead and get the outro out. Dropping that news. All right, now let's get into the meat and potatoes of the show. You know what I'm saying? Like, one that we really, this is one of the shows we've been wanting to do ever since we started this podcast. We were talking about, you know, doing particular shows about particular people. And this is, this particular guy is one that's a big influence on both of us in terms of like how we love comedy and stuff. Like, oh my God, this guy was fantastic, especially for me as an actor. Uh, the late, great Chris Farley. The man himself. The man himself. And I'm, I miss him to this day, man. Of course, Chris Farley is no longer with us, but we're going to be getting into that a little bit later. Let's go ahead and uh, start us off with a quote from Chris Farley. Uh, he's about talking about movies. People need a time to laugh. It's up to us to bunk ourselves on the head or slip on a banana peel so the average, so the average guy can say, I may be bad, honey. I'm not as bad as the idiot that they got on the screen. I'm not as bad of an idiot as this guy on the screen right here. That's basically Chris Farley's philosophy on comedy. Now, Chris Farley himself was actually born February 15th, uh, 1964 in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, his birth name is uh, Christopher Crosby Farley. He's five foot eight. Uh, he was born to uh, Marianne Farley and Thomas Farley, who apparently owned an oil company called Scotch Oil. He also has siblings, Kevin Farley, John Farley. He's actually of Irish heritage, uh, seven-eighths Irish, one-eighth Scottish. And he graduated from Edgewood High School of the Sacred Heart in 1982. Uh, uh, apparently, Chris uh, attended a lot of parochial schools, like those like uh, Catholic schools or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently, according to one of his uh, uh, fellow uh, Second City castmates, he always made it to mass. Yeah. And it, they say the same thing with him on SNL. No matter how messed up he was, no matter how much drugged out he might have been, he always made it to mass. Well, always. the other thing too, that stems from that Roman Catholic upbringing and being so proud, uh, he did lots of work at, uh, at charity hospitals throughout his life. Because yes, he, in fact, I remember right, he had a quote that said something to uh, that, you know, every homeless person that had potentially could be Jesus. So, you know, he figured he better try to take care of everybody. That was how Yeah. He and I, I was actually going to get into that a little bit later. Uh, now, he actually spent many of his summers as both a camper and a counselor at a place called Camp uh, Red Arrow near uh, Maniqua, uh, Wisconsin. He's also surprisingly agile and athletic for his size. So I'm surprised there. I played football in uh, high school and rugby in college. Yes, yes, yes. He traded up to rugby in college. It's one of the things that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I knew the rugby part would get you. I'd like to mention that U.S. Hooker supports and promotes uh, this wonderful podcast, Dropping That Culture with JD and AJ. Go to U.S. Hooker for all your U.S. rugby needs. If Chris Farley were live today, he would. I was about to say great segue into that very end. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> Feel free to do Belser verse whenever you'd like. 
Sorry, I'm joking on the whole school. <clears throat> I find a spot eventually, but god damn, dude. Dude, it's been building up for two weeks. What do you want me to do? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's get, let's get back to this. All right, now he first learned the art of improvisational comedy, which is actually a preview that I'm a part of, thank God. Uh, he actually learned it at the Art Improv Theater in Madison, Wisconsin, uh, under the tutelage of uh, Dennis Kern. I never heard who that was. Now, eventually he went on to study theater and received his degree actually in communications from Marquette University. And after his university, uh, you know, his university years, he first joined the Second City Troupe in Chicago. And apparently, he started the exact same day as Stephen Colbert. Yeah. And, and eventually, because of how talented he is, he became part of the Second City Touring Group. Now, just uh, real quick to talk about the Second City. Now, I've mentioned on the, on the podcast before that I've taken classes at one point at the Second City, and I was actually trying to get into the uh, repertory uh, well, the repertory uh, theater, the, the repertory group for uh, Second City Hollywood, hopefully. Uh, I got to a certain level, and every time I would try to get to that next level right before the repertory thing, uh, classes would always, you know, either they had they didn't have enough people or some crap would happen, and I never could make it to, like, past that level. Eventually, like I said before, I ended up on the Second City stage anyway in Hollywood. But if you go to the Second City in Hollywood, you see all these pictures of the past people, of course, that have been there before. You see Bill Murray, John Candy, pictures of Mike Myers, uh, what's his name, Bonnie Hunt, um, pictures of Eugene Levy, Dan Aykroyd, people like that, Martin Short, uh, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you see uh, newer pictures of Chris Farley. You see Chris Farley with Stephen Colbert, and also you see him with Tim Meadows. Uh, apparently, they were in the traveling um, tour together. And like I said, just to see all these people that came from the Second City. You also see a very young picture of Keegan Michael Key when they did uh, Second City Detroit, because he was a member of that troop. Uh, but yeah, like I said, you feel the history in there. It feels old as shit, but you, you feel the history when you go into the Second City in, in Hollywood. And I've never been to the one in Chicago. I always wanted to go, and I'm going to eventually, but you know. Speaking of that, uh, just as a note, I don't know if you saw, this should have probably gone and dropped that news, but. Um, What's his name? The uh, the CEO of Second City just stepped down. Yeah. We're actually replacing him, and part of it comes down to uh, they had issues of diversity and inclusion that uh, they just felt like he wasn't meeting. So there's going to be some shifting going on there because I mean the one thing that you know you got to be you got to be kind of real about when you look at the totality of what they got going on. There's uh, definitely a tilt one direction over another if you can put it that way. Uh, you know, I don't know what's going on right now because I haven't been working right now, but uh, it is something that I guess if the talk in Second City is worth noting has shifted. And then uh, I actually did have one quick note about, I thought it was hilarious that this part was first improv class. I uh, was just a, a drop in, I read something said about it. So apparently, we that first class out there in Wisconsin. Um, to get this in improv. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let's get to that. Now, actually, like I said, he actually uh, was promoted to the main stage of Second City in 1989. He became a cast member in three of their reviews. The Gods Must Be Lazy. It was 30 years ago today. 
and flag smoking permitted in lobby only or censorama. Uh, that was, that was the name of the three reviews he was part of. And uh, <laughs> and apparently he uh, came up with a lot of the characters that he would eventually become famous for on SNL in the Second City, particularly Matt Fuller. Oh, yeah. That's where he started Matt Fuller was in the Second City. Now, it was actually a Second City where he was discovered, of course, by Warren Michaels for Saturday Night Live. And he's also uh, an alumnus of the Improv Olympic uh, troupe uh, out in Chicago, and other than other cast, other members of that included uh, John Favreau, Ian Gomez, Tim Meadows, Rachel Dratch, Vince Vaughn, Mike Myers, and uh, Tina Fey, Amy Poehler, and Adam McKay were all members of that same improv Olympic uh, team. Well, they were partially improv Olympic at different times. Yeah, well, as I say, I didn't I didn't realize he was part of the improv Olympics. That's cool. I'm, I must have missed that. I was doing my research. That's another one I was able to be, uh, be in out here when it was out here, you know, Iowa West. So that was fun. Did it, we did that? A, we did a couple of improv jams there a couple of times uh, when I was still with my improv group. It's a it's a fun place, and plus, you know, they serve beer, good stuff. Uh, now, <laughs> now, Chris Friday was said to have idolized the late great John Belushi for obvious reasons, uh, <laughs> and unfortunately. The life stories actually ended up very similar in terms of how they came out. Both were regulars at the, at the Second City of Chicago. Both became cast members on SNL. Both would go on to do you know, feature films, have obesity problems. Uh, both would have a reputation of being out of control. And both of them actually died of a drug overdose at age 33. Yeah. It's scary similar. Yeah. Now, uh, Mr. Farley was known for a couple of trademarks, of course, his uh, great physicality, despite his girth. Uh, his, uh, he had like an anti-slapstick type deal, you know, in terms of his comedy. He would walk into a doorframe, curse and scream for like an extended period of time, that, that kind of shit. Uh, his crazy energy, he, was always, he would always be screaming his lines at the top of his lungs and shit. Everybody on? Great, wonderful, fantastic. No yelling on the bus. Stuff like that. <laughs> and of course, his ability to do cartwheels, again, for somebody his size. And uh, now in terms of his friends and family, of course, he became very good friends with uh, Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Rock, and uh, Rob Schneider, uh, particularly because of the day, days together at SNL. They both, all of them really came in around the same time. He became a, a, very much best friends with fucking... Um, David Spade. Now, Chris Rock has said uh, this about him and Chris Farley say, it's two guys named Chris. Both of them are hired on the same day, sharing an office, okay? One of them's from Bed-Stuy, New York, a black kid. The other one's a white guy from Madison, Wisconsin. Now, which of them do you think is going to die of an overdose? <laughs> fucked up, man. <laughs> Chris is fucking hilarious. And that goes for both of them. Yeah. Man. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, Susan, I saw that shit. But yeah, like, same thing. Chris loved Farley. Like, y'all always talk about Farley. Everybody, like Adam Sandler, all those guys, when they talk about who they felt was the funniest guy they ever worked with, Chris Farley. Oh, yeah. Always Chris Farley. Yeah. Now, Farley at the time was actually dating a girl that he really liked during his time at SNL, and she apparently dumped him. Uh, and then he went up to another dude, and she went up on another guy, and he was like totally shocked. 
And then uh, he he had his pride. He's like, you know, okay. He told a friend of his, okay, maybe maybe she can find something somebody that looks better than me. Maybe she might find somebody with more money than me. But she'll never find anybody that's funnier than me. And you know who she dumped him? the guy oh the girl uh you know who the girl dumped him for? Steve Martin. <laughs> I guess at that point you're just deciding what brand of humor you Yeah. But it, it's look, but here's the thing though with Steve Martin, I will say, because like com- comedy's like like ice cream, right? There's a bunch of different flavors. Mm-hmm. I find that one weird person who doesn't like ice cream at all whatever i mean you know even lactose intolerant people like ice cream that's how they find out they're lactose intolerant they're like, oh shit i can't eat that and well, funny enough that you mentioned lactose intolerant uh, funny that you mentioned lactose intolerant because martin short frequently says that steve steve martin reminds him of a gallon of milk well and that's what i was going to say it's like when you look at it yeah one might be vanilla the other one might be rocky road just because you like one over the other doesn't make the other person wrong it's both it's ice cream at the end of the day true that is true. Um, now, since we talked about SNL, we've been alluding to it. Let's go ahead and get into Chris Farley's SNL years. Now, like I mentioned before, he and Chris Rock were hired on the same day in 1990. Uh, they, I, of course, they, like I said, they frequently collaborated with Adam Sandler, Tim Meadows, Rob Schneider, David Spade. And that, apparently that little group of guys was known as the bad boys of SNL. Because the fact they're young, they're funny, they're edgy. You know, they were different compared to the other cast before them. So. Yeah. Now, in his early days on SNL, apparently Chris Farley would take out only $20 at a time from the ATM because he was unwilling or unable to admit that he had NBC money now. So he kept it, kept it simple, kept it cheap. You know what I'm saying? So, Not a bad way to go. Not a bad way to go at all. Now, uh, Mike Myers actually talked about Chris Farley. He said, I knew in rehearsal that a star was born. Uh, he, he, also, he also said he found... Chris Farley's physical type of comedy to be intimidating at times. Like he said, I improvised with Chris and I was scared because he had already knocked out somebody's tooth and then getting somebody else a scar just from being so crazy. That's coming from Mike Myers. No, he was, if you watch any of his old stuff, not just the Matt Foley stuff, anything, he was always 110% into a full body of mind. And again, might've been five foot eight, but he was a, big dude and a white dude and he could move for how big he was. You got in his way, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, all right, since you brought up Matt Foley, let's get into Matt Foley. Now, the character of Matt Foley on SNL was Chris Farley as this over-the-top motivational speaker. He would frequently uh, remind people that, you know, I am 35 years old, I'm eating a steady diet of government cheese, I am divorced, <laughs> no, thrice divorced, and I live in a van down by the river. Yeah, you got you to go by down by the river. <laughs> now, typically, uh, Matt Foley was brought in to a certain situation to speak to a person or a group. The first one was it was uh, the parents were Julia Sweeney and, and Phil Hartman. And the kid, it was like kids that were like dysfunctional or something like that. And it was David Spade and Chris. So what? He caught him doing drugs or something, so he was in there to give them a speech about how not to screw up their lives. Right, and the kids were Christina Applegate and David Spade. Now, Matt Foley comes in and starts doing his shit or whatever, you know, hey, kids, hey, how can we get back on the right track? <laughs> and Christina, Christina Applegate has to take her hair and cover her mouth because she couldn't help <laughs> her 
Spades. He kept laughing so hard at everything he was doing. Same thing with David Spade. You see him covering his mouth the whole time because they'll die laughing at this silly shit because he's just like all in their face, you know, saying, uh, like, what do you want to do with your life, young man? Actually, I want to be a writer. Well, Lonnie freaking dog. <laughs> and then he goes to the Phil Harvey. Hey, hey, Dad, hey, is that Bill Shakespeare over there? Look, oh, well, actually, we encourage him in his writing. Dad, I wish you just shut your mouth. Yapper! And he asked the girl, like, yo, lady, what do you want to do with your life? I want to live in a van down by the river. Well, you have plenty of time to live in a van down by the river. You're living in a van down by the river. (laughs) Man. Oh, I love that skit so much, man. But yeah, like I said, he comes in there, he starts, you know, insulting them, and you know, he gets gets them with all the cynicism and self pity, and you know, he comes across very negative. Now, a lot of the, a lot of the skits he does, the you know, uh, well, Lottie freaking die, whoop, the freaking do about you know somebody trying to you know do some kind of accomplishment or whatever. Now, apparently, the character was created with Farley by Bob Odenkirk. Yeah. Yeah. So they created it while they were in Second City together. Now the character, the name apparently comes from a longtime friend of Farley, who was actually a Catholic priest, yeah. and apparently is currently the head pastor at the St. James Catholic uh, Church in Arlington Heights, uh, Illinois. Uh, also, uh, many of the uh, uh, <laughs> characters' mannerisms were a combination of the positions that uh, he noticed his rugby uh, rugby teammates would take. You know, in terms, in terms of like a like he, like the certain things he would do, like his rugby teammates, and then also his uh high his, his high school football coach apparently had a habit of squatting down when he was giving pep talks, and the voice was his dad when he was pissed off. There's <laughs> <laughs> a combination. So yeah, so there's a squatting down. To, well, no man, what do you want to do with your life? All that stuff. <laughs> so he just took all that stuff and made this great character, man. Now, and, uh, the whole thing of him breaking into the coffee table in the first skit with uh, Christina Applegate and all that, that was an accident. It just went with it. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to happen. He made it work. Yeah, he's like, oh, whoop, whoopsie-daisy. Whoopsie-daisy. <laughs> and he, like I said, and he actually, like, like, you see David Spade, like, he actually jumped up, like, on the couch and was dying laughing because he, like, he's like, that wasn't supposed to happen at all. <laughs> Yeah, no, well, nobody had, had expected that. Yeah. And from then on, uh, they would have him breaking shit, like, throughout the Matt Foley skits or whatever. Uh, well, another favorite one of mine was uh, when they did, I forgot who it was, but, like, they had they had lit some poop. Uh, they had a bag of poop, and they lit it on fire in front of the door, and he's, like, stops it out. Oh, God, no! He's just stepping it out, like, ugh. <laughs> and he's trying to wipe it off with a curtain, and he falls, and <laughs> No, that shit was so fucking funny, man. Oh, and of course, it went on to become one of the great SNL skits of all time, one of the great SNL characters of all time. And most recently, as of the 40th anniversary, uh, Melissa McCarthy brought the character back. Wasn't quite the same, of course, obviously, but it was a nice tribute. You know? I mean, look, I, I like Melissa McCarthy. She She's a hell of an actress and hilarious, but I mean, who will... Set Melissa aside. Who are you gonna get to play that? It's never gonna be. It's, you just you can't you can't get that lightning back in the bottle, man. 
been trying to do like they try to repackage that shit with Kevin James for years. It just ain't the same. Well, which I mean, I don't want to get too far ahead, but not to bring that up and get to grown ups. Yeah, we'll get to that in a sec. Yeah. But uh another character that I love, Todd from Bill Swarsky's Superfans. <laughs> so Bill Swarsky's Superfans is basically this group of stereotypical Chicago guys who uh, you know sit in the bar, they got their fucking uh Chicago sports team paraphernalia on, but you usually it's the Bears, like but they refer to it as the Bears. The Bears. The Bears. Oh. Or double. Oh, yeah, doubles, depending on, you know, what season it is. But they're, they're, so what? The Cubs. The Cubs. Yeah, they, they never do the socks for some reason. Fuck the socks. Yeah, everybody hates the socks. <laughs> Everybody's still mad about them cheating on the World Series. What was it, like 1919 or whatever it was? I, I will say, I have one buddy from, uh, from, from my production days, Joe Lewis, uh, when I worked over there. He's a Chicago mm-hmm. guy. Diehard Sox fan. Only one I've ever met. Everybody else is a cubby, but you know what? More God speeds him because it's definitely the minority. Yeah, and of course, uh, the like I said, the super fans are frequently seen in some bar. They got large pitchers of beer, smoking cigars, and gorging themselves on ribs and Polish sausage and shit. And like, and then frequently uh, speaking to that, uh, they will always refer to some member. Uh, at one point, would always have a heart attack, yep. and more often than not, it was usually Chris Farley. Yeah, Chris Farley would like, <laughs> you would do that shit. Like, Are you all right, man? Just having a heart attack. Like, yeah, like you would do that shit, and it would kind of like wear off. And it's like, okay, oh, yeah, so how many heart attacks is that for you this year? Uh, I say that's a Becker's dozen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One time, huh? They had John Goodman on at one time. Wasn't he on one episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They had frequent uh, Goodman. The main guy was usually George Wynn. Yeah, but I was George. Could have sworn I remember seeing John Goodman on it. He probably, he probably did do one, but like uh, usually it was George Wynn was the main guy. Then it was like uh, Rob Schmeichel was another guy. And then um, sometimes Mike Myers would be one, and of course Chris Farley would be one. And uh, like, I do remember, like they would frequently have like uh, some Chicago people on there. The most famous one, of course, was Michael Jordan. He actually came on there when he hosted oh, yeah. SNL. So he, yeah, Michael Jordan was on the super fans. And then like he was talking about some charity shit, and they all like just zoned out, and they and they all mind you, hearing their thoughts, and they're like, "Tuppers, tuppers, tuppers," and they would just move from each person. They would like, "Doubles, doubles, doubles." Me to go to Chris Farley. Polish sausage, dick, sausage. <laughs> and, uh, and then, of course, uh, my favorite one of the uh, <laughs> the favorite one of the Tide moments was like he had on the uh, hula skirt and the coconut bra. Oh, and, yeah, uh, Tide does this very special dance uh, <laughs> to celebrate. And, like, when was the last time you did it? Uh, uh, February, uh, January 26, 1986, when the Bears won the Super Bowl. And he was like, duh, the best, 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 the
Well, a very famous skit where they had Chris Farley auditioning to be a Trippendale's dancer next to their guest host at that time, Patrick Swayze. And this is Patrick Swayze fresh off of, you know, Roadhouse and all that shit. So this is like super, you know, spelt Patrick Swayze. So they're both like being reviewed at the same time, you know, like, hey, which one of you, which one of you has what it takes to be a Chippendale's dance? <laughs> and of course, they start dancing together to uh, Lover Boys working for the weekend. <laughs> Everybody is working for the weekend. And they both start stripping and they're doing all this crazy. Now, the killer was, you know, you see handsome, spelt, you know, Patrick Swayze. And then you see super blubbery Chris Farley. But Chris Farley was right there with him, man. That's that's really what got him. Like, he was right there with him. And he went to the next level and he had all those body gyrations and everything. So then the music mm -hmm. was done. And I think <laughs> because his dance was great, but what was fantastic was Patrick Swayze's response to his having danced. And Patrick Swayze's like, man, like, dude, you, you, you just absolutely killed it. There's no way they're gonna give me this job. Like, you, you brought so much heat and sexuality to that dance. <laughs> I didn't even, like, I didn't even, who are you even a person? Like, you, you're like, you're like, God. Like, he was just, he was laying uh, Yeah, Patrick Swayze, Patrick Swayze killed that shit. I was like, wow, really? So much effort. Like how he's so passionate about how much better was his name is Barney. That was Chris Farley's name. His name was Barney. He's so much better Barney was. <laughs> hey Chris, are you sure? I don't know. I, I don't think I really got it. I mean you're you're just so good. And so he's like, no, 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 no. Now uh like I said, the skit went on on took on his life of its own. To this day, it's on like whenever they do a best of SNL's skits uh list or whatever. It's usually in the top five. Yeah, that's how good it was. And like, uh, if you actually type in, apparently, if you Google best SNL skits ever, uh, it's actually the second thing that comes up whenever you search for that, that kind of thing. Like, and it's the second thing that happens when you search in Chris Friday SNL on YouTube. That's the skit that pops up. And currently, like at one point, I think it's currently at four million views. But like since then, like the only the only Chris Friday skit has actually gotten more attention. Then the uh, Chippendales thing is the Matt Foley skit. That's like a 13 minutes. So now, uh, in terms of the actual skit itself, Kevin Nealon, who was actually one of the judges in the skit, it was three judges. It was uh, it was Mike Myers, Kevin Nealon, and I believe Jan Hooks were the judges. And uh, like I said, Kevin Nealon said it was one of the hardest things he ever had to do by not cracking up at that damn skit because it was so fucking funny. And Mike Myers said the same thing. He's like, uh, like I, he actually had to resort to that this tight lip. If you look at the, he said, you look at the skit. I have this tight lipped quizzical expression on my face because I was just doing whatever I could to keep it together. <laughs> um, now, also, while it is beloved, some of the actual cast members, some of the people that actually worked with Chris Farley, hate this sketch. They hate it with a passion, actually. Now. Robert Smigel said it's one of the funniest skits in the show's history. But then you go to other people like Bob Odenkirk. He said, uh, I didn't like the fact that the first thing that he's known for is the Chippendales thing, which I hated. Fucking lame, weak bullshit. This is Bob Odenkirk. I can't believe anyone liked it enough to put it on the show. Fuck that skit. He should have never did it. Bob, Kirk, Bob Odenkirk. And also, funny enough, 
Chris Far Chris Rock actually fair is, is very similar in terms of his hatred of the skit. He said, I always hated it. The joke is basically we can't hire you because you're fat. I mean, he's a fat guy and you're gonna ask him to dance with no shirt on. Okay, that's enough. You're gonna get that laugh. But when he stops dancing, you have to turn it in his favor. There was no turn here. There's no comedic twist here. It was it was just fucking mean. Uh, it's a weird moment in Chris's life. Like as funny as the skit was, as as many accolades as he got for it, it's one of the things that he I felt that killed him. It really was something happened right then. That's what Chris Rock says. I mean, look, like we talk about before when it comes to comedy, anybody's uh, anybody's welcome to their opinion. I I have a very different take on it because I think I think if it had just been Hey, you know, fatty make a funny, right? Like at the end of uh, Dodgeball, that'd be one. I don't think that's what it was. And I think the what what sells it and makes it funny is two things. One, Chris Farley's physicality in dancing, shirt or no shirt, was fucking hilarious. And the turn that is in his favor is Patrick Swayze and the way that he plays it. Man, I'm screwed because you're watching through Patrick Swayze's eyes the way he's preparing himself, what he explains to dance alongside him, it switches things to the audience's favor. So, or in the audience's mind, in the closest way we go, wait, so in this guy's mind, in this world that we're occupying, according to this guy, Harley's the better way. So that's that comedic twist of the unexpected kind of hitting your brain, which really makes it funny. But it just been patched face like this. have an attitude about it. I say this is a fat kid my whole life. Yeah, that would have just been insulting in me. But where you get the comedy aspect of it is that because Chris is so intense with his that trumps all this other shit that normally you'd say, okay, Chippendales versus literally flesh is hell, right? You're expecting it just to be that because his movement, which was hilarious to watch, is so much better than Swayze's movement. He may have actually won this thing. And if he'd actually won it, it might have even been funnier, funnier still. That's, 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 I think that's kind of his point. Like, he should have won it. Well, and you can argue about the end of this game when it comes to the writing. All I'm saying is I don't think it was exploitive as some people might want to put it out to be. And then here's the other thing, too. You know, I guess you can argue either way, but probably didn't have to do it. He could have turned true. it off. Yeah, he could have. Yeah, true. Just saying. He wanted to do it because he thought it was funny and everybody thought it was funny, yeah. And again, I mean, you and I, we've, we've written and we've worked in comedy and done comedic stuff for a while. You know, the reality is uh, sometimes you have Larry David moments, right? Where you sit here and you go, man, the audience, you feel like the audience must be stupid if they like this or didn't like that. And there's something wrong with the audience or there's something wrong with the writing. But that's why I'm saying you always have to bring it back around to the fact it's like, you know, it's, it's a taste thing. It's a preference thing. I don't want, I don't, I don't ever want to be in a position the way that you and I've talked about this, I think this is important when we talk about comedy. Mm -hmm. You make somebody else laugh. If you made at least one other person laugh, then the conversation has to turn to, okay, so now we're getting into matters of taste. Because if it was funny enough to make somebody, not you as the writer, not you as the actor, not you as the director, you made someone in the audience laugh, then it was funny. Even if you hate it as the director or the writer, then you're still... I think that's a stupid joke, but hey, you know what? If it worked for you, fine. By the same token, if you and I think it's funny, nobody else laughs. That sucks. I guess we're only funny on that. Or maybe we're only funny. Yeah. That's, that's the only point. You look at it again, it's like, 
at a certain point, you just got to be real and go, okay, so it's not your pace. Yeah, so is that. Now, uh, moving on from that, uh, another great character. It's only done one time, but it lasted a lifetime. Chris Farley as the lunch lady in Lunch Lady Land by Adam Sandler. <laughs> and I actually rewatched this the other day, and it's so sweet that performance because, like, Chris Farley is in the Lunch Lady outfit, He's got the stockings and the shoes, and got the hairnet and glasses, and Adam Sandler with the guitar and the leather jacket and shit. Lunch Lady Land, hoagies and grinders, hoagies and grinders. Navy beans, navy beans, navy beans, navy beans. Hoagies and grinders, hoagies and grinders. Navy beans, navy beans. Eat old sandwich. <laughs> yeah, sloppy Joe, sloppy, sloppy Joe, yeah. <laughs> it's such a, and then looking back on it now, it's such a sweet, sweet skit, because, like, you see all the cast members come out there dressed as lunch foods. <laughs> So you see, like Kevin Lynn and Jay Moore and Sarah Silverman dressed up as like, like <laughs> corn and she like that. it's so sweet and like uh, and then of course Sloppy Joe was Kevin Nealon. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, they of course Sloppy Joe and the Lunch Lady fall in love and it's it's, it's a really sweet skit now as as you know as you look back on it, but it's it like it's it's a great little thing too. Now another favorite of mine, Bennett Brower. Remember ben, the up the weekend update guy? He would always have glasses. Yeah, 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 that guy. He would always have like uh, he always do shit in air quotes. So yeah, <laughs> and <laughs> he was always like, you know, like this. This I actually have one a dialogue of Bennett Brower and do the air quotes. Okay, so maybe I'm not the norm. I'm not camera friendly. I don't wear clothes that fit me. I'm not a heartbreaker i haven't uh, had sex with a woman you know i i don't know how that works uh i guess i don't fall in line i'm not hygienic or uh, i don't wipe properly or uh, i don't i lack style or uh, i have no charisma or self-esteem you know i <laughs> i don't own a toothbrush uh, i um don't let my scabs heal i, I don't I can't reach all the parts of my body, or, <laughs> or sometimes when I sleep, I sweat profusely. <laughs> so, <laughs> so a lot of people feel that you know that the whole shit actually um, popularized people using air quotes uh, in conversation. I, 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 that's when I first got it from. Was watching Chris Farley do that shit, and there's one skit where he was on Weekend Update, and they had the shit where he was supposed to fly. Oh, yeah. Cable. yeah, yeah, and then like the cable unfortunately got stuck on the sign, and like, oh. <laughs> he, but like he's supposed to, oh my god, I'm flying, and he like gets stuck, and Kevin Nealon actually has to get up and un untangle him. He's like, okay, I have a I have a weight problem. Like, can't can't you lift me? <laughs> and then he finally then they finally get it untangled, and he's like flying above the audience, like, <laughs> and then what they don't show was that he actually fell and crashed. Oh no, I didn't know that. Yeah, he actually fell. Uh, they, yeah, they didn't show that part. You, 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 you watch the replays of it; it ends with him flying over the audience and doing the, the, this shit here. That's it. Oh, I, I never saw. I never, gosh, I never saw that. Yeah, nobody did. I, I think I think it's on the show, like on the live thing. They, like any replay, they don't show it. 
Yeah, and a, this is another skit. It wasn't really physical, but it really owed to the sweetness to Chris Farley. The Chris Farley show. Where he would interview people. Like, he had, like, a little talk show, but he was a horrible talk show host. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he was... And uh, he would talk about like he would like like make asinine questions or whatever, and yeah, he, he like uh, it was like the Chris Farley version of Zach Galifianakis between two ferns. Yeah, but but even more, I think I think of the two Chris Farley shows more awkward, but sweet though. Well, because because the difference is with Chris Farley's show, everything he was saying was more uh, like like ignorant or like ironic or or kind of dumb, whereas most of what Zach Galifianakis says is pointed and mean. But it's just really veiled enough that he can he can have a slight amount of plausible deniability. Yeah. So, but apparently they only did the Chris Farley show three times and only had three guests: Jeff Daniels, Martin Scorsese, and Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney is probably the more famous one. Yeah, but uh, but I, yeah, this is actually good. That's a good lineup right there, just for three skits. Uh, I love the Jeff Daniels one. He's talking about like different moves. Like, hey, uh, did you ever see Die Hard? Remember the part we had to walk on the glass? And I'm like, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, or the Paul McCartney one, he's like, uh, uh, remember that rumor that said that you had died? But yeah, is that true? Uh, no, it wasn't true. Oh, okay. Do you remember what he said, uh, the love you take? Is equal to the love you make. Yeah. Do you mean that? Yes, I, I believe that the, the, the more you give, the more you get. He's like, oh. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's so sweet though. And then what like yeah, whenever he would do a bad one, he'd be like, stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> and also, um, he did a lot of celebrity impressions on the show. So he did like Tom Arnold. That was a favorite one of mine. We was Tom Arnold is is uh it was I think it's Victoria Jackson as uh as Roseanne. She's like, yeah, yeah, you know, the Roseanne boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like all exacerbated as, as Tom Arnold. I'll tell you, man, it's not what happened, man. It's not what happened at all. He just said that. <laughs> and he was like, I didn't, and even think I showed my butt on TV. And he shows Ryan shows his ass. It's not his butt. This is not her butt. Okay, this is not her butt. <laughs> that was another one. Uh, he did uh, Andrew Giuliani, uh, Rudy Giuliani's son. <laughs> it was like you know, it was like it's Kevin Nealon as Giuliani and Chris Farley and Andrew just climbing all over him because apparently there was a there's a, a speech where Giuliani's trying to speak and his son is just acting a goddamn fool behind him. So Chris Farley's acting like the sun <laughs> and just climbing all over him and shit. He got like he got like a uh, a blonde wig and buck teeth and <laughs> like a like a just a, a crazy little kid and shit. Hey dad, hey dad, hey dad, he can't do shit like that. Just fucking with him. And uh, what's another one? Uh, he did meatloaf. I remember. Uh, and yeah. did like I'm a, yeah he yeah did he did meatloaf and there's uh he also did uh Carney Wilson from Wilson Phillips. Okay. Cause they were doing like a, they were doing like a right a live a you know we are the world type song, and it's Wilson Phillips and he was Carney Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another favorite of mine, oh yeah, and then, uh, yeah, he was also Dom DeLuise. I remember that they did a skit with you know how they used to do like the old Tonight Show where it'd be like Johnny, 
and Burt Reynolds and Dom DeLuise, and they would do like pranks and shit on each other, like hit each other with pies and shit. Yeah. So yeah. It was, yeah so it was basically it, it was supposed to be like a clip show. So it was like Burt Reynolds, uh, Dan. It was uh, what was it? Phil. Yes, yeah, Phil Hartman is Burt Reynolds. It was uh, Dana Carvey is Johnny Carson, and it was Chris Farley is Dom DeLuise. And he was like hitting hitting them with pies and when the crotches with pies, and then next thing he starts peeing his own pants. It was so. <laughs> <laughs> and oh yeah, and then uh, we talked about this on the Eleven Color uh, episode when um when Damon Wayans came on the show and did uh, Men on Film, he did it with Roger Ebert, who was Chris Farley, and then of course you know he starts out regular Roger Ebert, but then of course as the skit progresses, he starts getting like really really gay. <laughs> he starts licking a lollipop and shit. This next one. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Uh, he also did uh, what's his name? Uh, Norman Schwarzkopf. Oh yeah, Stormy Norman. From Je- yeah, Stormy Norman from Desert Storm. <laughs> I will de- I will desecrate all the enemy that comes in my perimeter. Also, I want Holyfield. I want Holyfield. I showed you what these guns can do in the Middle East. Now I'm gonna show you what they can do in the ring. <laughs> Las Vegas, Nevada. Holyfield Schwarzkopf. It's the war on the shore. <laughs> <laughs> I love that shit, man. Now, <laughs> now, as funny as he was on stage, Chris Frodo was actually known for doing a lot, a lot of really out there pranks backstage oh. at the office of SNL. Now, one would have, like, apparently Farley and Adam Sandler would make, like, late night prank calls. From the SNL's tower to like uh, to like saying like it would say things like uh, Adam Sandler was speaking an old lady's voice and Chris Farley would start farting in the phone and he would like moon cars and limos and shit and uh, actually he was yeah he was known to get naked quite often apparently yeah apparently yeah there's one thing that happened a lot apparently that he would get naked a lot uh, he, you, you you're pointing yeah well because I was gonna say he actually. One time he got butt naked and jumped naked in the shower with Mike Myers. Yeah. <laughs> he just also jumped he, with Mike Myers. <laughs> yeah. And he also, uh, he, would, uh, he would get naked and do the Buffalo Bill thing from uh, South oh, of the Lands. Yeah. And Chris Rock actually said, I probably saw Farley's private parts more than his actual girlfriend did. Well, the thing, though, with him, that goes back to high school. He actually got suspended for a semester because he was in typing class and he whipped his dick out and started trying to type with his dick. And he didn't get punished for it. His dad apparently thought it was hilarious. So he just took him home and they figured out what to do for the rest of the semester after he got yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. and then uh, he registered as a sex offender. And then apparently David Spade said uh, apparently they would, you know, hit the bars after, you know, rehearsals and after the show. And Farley would often try to approach women claiming that he was an aerobics instructor. And then, like, when the woman would be like, no, you're not an aerobics instructor, he'll bust out with a fucking backflip and just stick the landing and come back right back in the conversation. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. Hey. John Belushi could do backflips and he was a big dude. Exactly. And actually, uh, Lauren Michaels has often said this about Chris Farley. He's the child that Dan Ackwood and John Belushi didn't have. Chris That's Farley. Yeah. That's the descriptor of him for sure. Yeah, definitely. He definitely has that weird Dan Ackwood thing for like, like just ex- 
sponsor lady in terms of weird shit, but he has that blue sheet charm and physical humor and shit all molded together in one person. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So apparently, uh, towards the end, and this is messed up, uh, he had actually a year left on his contract in SNL, but apparently, due to the high ups in NBC for some fucking reason not liking the, the new guys, he was let go uh, in 1995. You know who else was like going the same same bullshit? With Sam, Sandler. Sandler. And he actually told Sandler. Sam, they, they were both in the dark, and he came over and told Sandler. And Sandler's like, uh, "What?" And they've actually got they've they've gone on on slash off record. They had some not nice names for for what NBC stood for. Yeah. No yeah. You can you can uh, you can Google that one for yourself. Yeah, I don't see any of those here. Like, I'm not gonna get into it, but yeah. That was a dumb move, in my opinion. That was a bad like, move on their part because, it, well, I mean, I'd have to double check and go back on on my notes. I don't think NBC and Universal were the same company yet, and that would probably explain more why they would go this direction. Because yes. now, being NBC Universal, dumbest thing you can do is take a star of a TV show who still has a contract with you and fire him. You're better off to try to lock him into a movie deal first look, where you can then double dip on both of them. Yeah. Able to turn around and use SNL to promote the movies you're making. But, you know, to, I mean, as much defense as I can give them, both Sandler and Farley had had budding film careers. I mean, who knows what was going on with the SNL execs? It takes a huge chunk of your time away. And even if you're trying to film your own hiatus during the summer, it doesn't matter. Your task one is not available or is into the show. Yeah. Now, as far and uh, like I said, they, uh, they eventually uh, Farley will go on to a great uh, film career. Uh, his last uh, and on, on October twenty fifth, uh, excuse me, uh, nineteen ninety seven, Farley actually made his last appearance on SNL, and it was the only time he ever hosted. Now, uh, his hoarse voice and flesh skin was actually a subject of public scrutiny. Uh, he uh, he often he uh, actually. Spoofed his style of comedy by, you know, dive bombing onto uh, Lorne Michaels' desk. And he had actually strained his vocal cords uh, so much during the um, performance, and his exhaustion was just so noticeable that they actually recommended canceling the show. Uh, but Farley, you know, he actually, they also considered his uh, hosting to be troublesome because a lot of the, uh, it, it's so, it was so bad in terms of how he looked, in terms of how he looked that. Basically, that episode has been pulled from general circulation. It's not on syndication at all. Uh, and it's actually, unfortunately, his last television appearance before his death. Yeah. So, yeah, it's pretty bad. Yeah, I mean, he was, yeah. he was smiling by that point pretty bad. Yeah, he was, yeah. That's that, that's that dark side of Hollywood that, that unfortunately claims too many folks. You know, you get into the, the party side. I see it a lot with comedians, too, because comedians, speaking, you know, they a lot of pain, a lot of self-loathing and stuff like that that you know they're able to deal with. And that's part of where all that energy comes from. A lot of where that stuff kind of spells. It's that very easily quickly consumed from them. If they don't have like you know something to try to keep them on the way, so to speak. Like I, I talk about it a lot because I listen to you know Joe Rogan. You know, always hear him talk about different comedian friends he has on. You know, if bad with physically. So, you know, to me, other recreational drugs. He always talks about that's why they do that. 
was it the October, October challenge? Break, gotta take, you know, all this stuff, get out your system, and then uh, he's not telling people you shouldn't. Yeah, don't try to have some sort of balance. They can push you there. I mean, what happened to Belushi? It's obviously a lot of so far. Um, other great talent. It's just it's too often you see guys go out way too often. Yeah. Medicating in the worst way. Yeah, it worked. Uh, we're going to get into that a little bit more in just a second, but let's talk about some of the missed roles that Chris Farley could have played in. Uh, one, before his death, he actually wanted to do a dramatic role in a film biography of silent film comedian uh, Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle. Yes, he wanted to do that. He also, this is a good one, he was he was originally cast as Shrek. Well, they'd already finished most of his voiceover. Yep. And yeah, he had even recorded dialogue, and then of course, after his untimely death, the role was given to Mike Myers. And of course, the rest is history. Uh, he was the first choice for the cable guy, yep. the Jim Carrey part, awesome. but scheduling conf- yeah, schedule conflicts forced him not to be able to do it. Uh, around the same time of his death, he was supposed to reunite one more time with David Spade in a movie called Lost and Found. They eventually did make that movie, but the Chris Farley part went to Artie Lang. Real, real quick before we go uh, too far past it, what do you think, would Cable Guy have been a better film with Farley? Because there's, there's some stuff about it that was okay, some stuff I didn't like as much. I've, I've thought about that one a lot, because it would have been, look, Jim Carrey is no question, uh, certainly of all the living actors, he's the most physical comedic actor there is. Mm-hmm. But such a energy with the Chris Farley, him also being this bigger, heavier guy, the idea, the whole concept that he grew up and was raised by television. I mean, all that stuff plays into it better. It just, I, it's one of those ones. I just, I have to wonder if it would have been a better film with him or if it, it, it would have been. I mean, I don't think there's really a good um, This is my thinking on it. Uh, just looking at that particular anecdote, I was thinking to myself, yeah, the physical parts that Jim Carrey did for The Cable Guy, Chris Farley could have easily did all that stuff. And like I said, it still would have been funny. But I think Chris Farley might have been just a bit more intimidating than Jim Carrey because of his large size. Because he's got this big guy who is, you know, this cable guy, you know, who's this lonely cable guy. And next thing you know, he... Yeah, yeah right. That creepy side would have, would have been increased too much because he's so physically intimidating. Because that's a good point. And then he could have been more physical with Matthew Broder, who's a smaller guy. But like, hey, come on, let's do this. You know, you know how that is, you know. Yeah, so, I think you're right. I think unfortunately, uh, it might have it might have taken way too dark. Because, yeah, because because yeah. he's a big guy, he might physically lose control and hurt this man. Yeah, it would it would almost turn into a, a into like a really dark version of like Lenny from Mice and Men, right? Exactly. It was like, oh shit, this guy's lost it. He's off his meds, and like he's so big, he's gonna destroy everybody. I will name him George, and I will hug him and kiss him and squeeze him. Yeah. Well, uh, Jim Carrey, as creepy and weird as he was in it, you're like, oh, there's a ch- Matthew, he could probably take him. Matthew Broderick could probably take him in a fist fight. I mean. But, no, he, uh, yeah, Robert, Matthew Broderick was not taking Chris Farley. Not at all. You got to get to, so, gotta get to like, maybe, uh, like, Schwarzenegger or something before you're like, okay, yeah, he can take him. Cause he, but no, 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 no. He, yeah, Matthew Broderick, no way in hell taking Chris Farley. 
beautiful five foot eight. What was how how heavy was he? He was big. He was at three hundred pounds, wasn't he? He's, he's over three hundred pounds. I know that. Big, I actually have I have the exact number a little bit later, but like he was over three hundred pounds. Yeah, he was uh, yeah, a big guy, man. Also, uh, he was actually uh, slated to do a voice role in a movie called Dinosaur, where he played a young Brachiosaurus. Uh, of course, didn't make that because he passed away. Oh yeah, uh, he's also supposed to be in a movie with Vince Vaughn called The Gelfin, uh, which was actually never made. And this is uh, a, this is one that I actually was uh, thinking about a while because uh, <laughs> uh, this actually happened to a lot of other actors who died of similar situations. Chris Farley was at one point in the lead to do an adaptation of the novel a Confederacy of Dunces. Yeah. There's yeah. actually... And, Told, I think three other comedic actors who'd been attached and died up shortly after getting attached to that film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, John Belushi, John Candy, and well, Chris Farley is the only third one I saw. Yeah, and then also there's a, two other movies. Uh, there's a movie called The In Incomparable Atuck, uh, and also the Fatty Arbuckle biopic. All three guys were attached to all three projects, and all three projects have since become cursed projects because all three of those guys ended up dying. So, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure at this point, none of those things will ever be made. Well, I mean, unless you can tie Kevin James into it, I mean, there's not, that's the other thing, too, you got to really look at, you know, because that specific build, the, the heavy set comedian, mm -hmm. we really have out there right now that plays the heavy set comedian that's, that's booking anything aside from maybe Kevin James or Melissa McCarthy. But if you want to go, you know, the other, the other direction, swap it over and make it an actress, there's just, that's something that's honestly been kind of a, a big hole for a while. Yeah, the big dude comedian. Yeah. So, yes, sucks too. Uh, since we're talking about uh, Kevin James, of course, we all know that the Kevin James part in Grown Ups was meant for Chris Farley because they had actually written the script in the early 90s. Well, if you look at who ends up playing it, it's that same cast of close friends from SNL. Schneider, Rock, um, Sandler, and Spade. So it would make sense that that fifth would be from their, their cohort that it would have been Farley originally. And, I mean, look, I love Kevin James. I think he's a hilarious actor. Mm -hmm. Job stepping in, and it's it's a great movie. If you've never watched it, go watch it. It's fun. And also, uh, Chris Farley, uh, Adam Sandler, of course, was very very close to the late Chris Farley. He actually has made several references to Chris Farley in his movies. Uh, I remember the Fifty First Dates um, that. Uh, uh, at one point, Drew Barrymore is in a hospital, and then the hospital is sponsored by Tom Callahan of Callahan Auto Parts. And then also uh, in Little Nicky, uh, his mom, who's an angel, uh, got a new boyfriend, and the boyfriend was Chris Farley. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that. <laughs> yeah, that was his mom's boyfriend, Chris Farley. Well, uh, also, uh, at one point, uh, Chris Farley was actually a... Uh, in talks to do the uh, title role in Captain Underpants, oh, yeah. uh, the children's book. Uh, they also wanted to do a third Ghostbusters movie with uh, Chris Farley, Ben Stiller, and, and uh, Chris Rock. You know, it, that, didn't, that never happened, of course. And they also wanted to do a movie about Matt Foley. Yeah. Yeah. None of those things ever happened, unfortunately. Well, I mean, uh, now, yeah, go ahead. You got to go ahead. No, I was, I, was, I was about to get into some trivia about Chris, but if you had something to say. I was going to say, since we're talking a little bit about the end of his life there, 
and uh, and, and all these uh, these guys that were so close to him and everything. You know, there was a a little bit that was going around like the the gossip world side of Hollywood uh, about his funeral because David Spade didn't show up. Um, you know, we'll get to this. When we talk a little more specific about some of the movies they did together, <clears throat> which were well are iconic. There was a lot being said because they they had a bit of a falling out a little bit for part of. Uh, sort of reconciled with uh, lost which they didn't end up getting to do together but it's come out he said the reason he didn't attend he couldn't attend was that uh it was just too painful because of how much you know chris probably meant so how broken up he was over the, the whole situation um but the one kind of funny little piece of irony to it was um we talked about tom arnold and how famous he was this tom arnold impersonation Tom Arnold actually eulogized him. Um, yeah. so kind of got the the last laugh, so to speak, in terms of being able to stand up there and, and talk about Chris, who obviously uh, so it's just kind of a kind of one of the sad and interesting things. Also, I think to point out, you know, you and I talk a lot about the different uh, stuff and dropping that news and things we hear and see, and some of the different folks we run into, and always worth remembering that. A certain amount of stuff with all the TMZ and everything else in there that it's infotainment at best. It's mostly just entertaining shit about entertaining people, and the reality is often a lot more complex, especially for guys like them that literally came up together. I mean, that's starting on SNL the same time, the way those guys did, especially the way SNL uh, worked. When I say SNL is working its best, um, similar way it did with like you know Eddie Murphy, and, and before that with. You know, Murray and all the rest of those guys it's honestly like going into a graduate conservatory and that's your cohort those are your, those are your friends those are the people that you're going to remember and be that close which is why it's one of the things i like the most about grown-ups when you watch that film it's family friendly it's fun it's nice it got some great comedy built into it but probably the thing for me that i like the most about it is you're watching as you know have this sense of camaraderie from a comedic standpoint because they really, I mean, they broke together. There was so much that they did for each other. That's one of the things, like, you look at Adam Sandler's movies, even now, you know, you can argue, I think, without much fight or pushback from anyone else, Adam Sandler's probably the most, or maybe the second most, we go back and forth between him and Chris Rock. But you look mm -hmm. at the films, you always bring it in. The guys, there's a reason you see Rob Schneider in just about every Adam Sandler's films, because these guys are the closest. Yeah. And that to me is cool. And I, it's one of those things you find more with comedians and comedic actors that you don't get as often in the rest of Hollywood. I mean, it's very hard to find that dramatic actor, that dramatic actress, that close with that kind of lifelong friendship, not only just friends behind the scenes, but they're bringing each other into their projects and, and kind of all rising together. That to me is really cool. Well, uh, we do know what we do at least know of one instance that, in terms of dramatic actors, uh, Nicholson and Batman brought in Tracy Walter, Bob. Yeah. Same thing. Lifelong friends. They did a bunch of projects together. He brought them on with him. He actually specifically asked for Tracy Walter. Yeah, and again, like I said, it's a it's a rare one. I think on the dramatic side, because we can go back. We want to roll back to. You know, we can see what happened with some of the earlier cast. I mean, Dan Aykroyd and Belushi working together as much as they did. And it's just, it's one of those things I think you see pretty regular on the comedic side that I feel like you don't get as often on the dramatic side. And whatever the reasons are, it's just, anyway, it's just something I always have enjoyed. And I 
I mean, especially with the earlier Sandler stuff, you're always waiting, okay, when's Rob Schneider going to pop up and say, you can do it. Uh, I haven't heard that in so long. It just made me laugh. Like, you and me. But we used to do that shit junior high. All the shit, all the fucking time. We we was on the football team together. We would do that shit. (laughs) You can do it. (laughs) Oh, man. Waterboy Waterboy was the freaking football movie in junior high. Oh, my God. All all of us watched it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, my my, course, my motherfucker was a uh, farmer friend, because <laughs> I know motherfuckers that talk like farmer friend. <laughs> you buy what the, you buy what the, you wonder what I done. What that babu? We we in the locker room. What that babu? They what they what they your head Well, and then again, talking about these guys bringing their friends back, farmer friend essentially makes makes that appearance in Joe Dirt again. When he pops up, on the way. Oh yeah, 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 that's right. He's in, he, uh, Joe, he was in Joe Dirt, and also, uh, no, 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 that was John. Sorry. But yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he made his way to Joe Dirt, and and a lot of those people, the football players, were also in you know Grandma's Boy and all the other Adam Sandler movies and shit. So no, yeah, he does putting his friends on. I give him that, man. Yeah, that's yeah. a great thing. Yeah. Now some uh, we'll get into some trivia about Mr. Chris Farley now. We talked about David Spade a lot in this particular show. David Spade also apparently always called Chris Wisconsin Dundee, like like Crocodile Dundee, because he, you know, he apparently he had no, he had never had anything resembling a serious job uh, prior to SNL. Uh, it was also very clear that he had never been to New York prior to SNL. The only job like, just, he had that I could find when I did my research was for like a minute before he he really jumped in on the improv. He worked for his dad's company. Yeah, like I say, his parents looked after him. That was it. Yeah, he he worked for his dad's company at the the oil and whatever it was. Scotch it. oil. Yeah, Scotch, Scotch oil. That was it. Yeah, yeah. All right. He also pulls his Newt Gingrich on Capitol Hill to help the House Republican leaders celebrate his first hundred days. Did you, did you ever watch that? Yes, I did. Dude, that is one of the funniest fucking things. Like, here's the thing. Right now, while everybody's ready to kill each other, Republican or Democrat, go back and watch that. And then I'll say another one just like it. Again, talking about heavyset, hilarious comedians. When Don Rickles did, I think it was the, it was like around the time of the second inaugural for Reagan. He did a stand. Oh yeah, yeah, did a, yeah, with uh, roasted everybody. Oh, the, uh, I did because we talked about that the, the John Landis episode. He did an episode of the Kevin Pollard show. We talked about that one. Yeah, dude. And he said he's, he said his favorite joke was the Billy Graham one. He's like, yeah. hey, Billy Graham, my, my wrist is hurting. <laughs> Can you do something about this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, all that right there, both the new Gingrich one and freaking um, Don Rickles. That's what we and, need more of in this country, man. And also, um, since we brought up that kind of humor, uh, a couple years, just just a few years ago, uh, Keegan Michael Key doing Luther, the anger translator for Barack Obama at the uh, correspondence dinner. Oh, that was good. Yeah, he's doing it for Obama, actually for Obama. Like, yeah, that that was hilarious. So yeah, th- those kind those kind of things tend to flow over into politics too. Now, for most of his movies, his brother Kevin Farley was actually an extra. Yeah. Uh, before his death, he actually lived in the John Hancock Building in Chicago, and apparently his next door neighbor was Jerry Springer. 
that's a weird group of neighbors. Jerry Springer and Chris Farley. I think Jerry Springer probably owes Chris Farley a little bit of money for inspiration because I, I saw Springer and there were some other shows that was straight out of the Matt Foley playbook. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he, they could have used Matt Foley for a lot of the Springer episodes. Although, although if we're, we're really going to trace it back, we got to go back to, uh, to Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman was the pioneer of that kind of TV. Yeah, the Gonzo TV, yeah. Oh, God. Now, um, now, towards his last, one of his last movies, Beverly Hills Ninja, apparently he was so disappointed in that movie that he actually cried on his agent's shoulders after the first screening. Uh, yeah. He told his agent that he never wanted to do any type of movie like that ever again. And his stance was justified because he felt he was being exploited for his, you know, manic physical humor, you know, and they were dumbing him down and basically almost playing it out at a tiring and foolish degree. So, I mean, I don't know. What, <coughs> what's, what's your opinion on that one? On uh, how they were doing Chris Farley? Well, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills Ninja in general. I don't like that movie. Yeah, I mean, it's not my favorite Farley film. I didn't think it was. I didn't think it was quite as bad. I mean, I don't know because I go back and forth on because I mean, here's the thing: Tommy Boy was original and hilarious. Mm -hmm. Black Sheep was slightly derivative, but it was still really funny. Yeah. Hills Ninja was. it was, it was, what I found funny about it was, it was basically, it was basically the Green Hornet, but done a little more comedically. Mm. His brother has to show up and save his ass all the time. He's this constant screw up. Mm. But he somehow seems to think that he's still, you know, he's the one, he's the, the chosen child. He's going to do yeah. so I, I think there's, because he's almost got this, um, you know, it's basically the Mr. Magoo of, of uh, martial arts films. Probably the best way to describe that whole thing, and yeah, he does have a very Inspector Gadget quality to it, where he's like, he thinks he's the hero, but he's actually not. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't see him. I didn't see him in any way that I felt. And again, he has to make the decision because he's the actor. And I didn't feel like he was. He was necessarily necessarily to a point where he was totally being um, e- exploited for the the physical side of things. I didn't feel like there was a, a lot of fat jokes or anything like that it was just more honestly i felt like he probably could have used another two passes on the on the writing the general concept and idea was wasn't bad i just think there was something that was i'll be honest with you i've only seen that movie i've only seen that movie once really um, i must have yeah. watched it at least four four or five times over the years i watched it one time it comes on now hmm? so what Turn the channel if it comes on now. Without no. You will turn the channel. or You won't turn the channel. Oh, I will turn. I will turn the channel. Yeah. That's too bad. It's, it's, it's not my thing. Sorry. I mean, the, the two things that I thought were great about it were they had they had an interesting concept to start with. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen anybody do that before in the martial arts side because I mean you watch shit ton of kung fu movies and that kind of thing. So it was an interesting turn because whenever they the quote great white you know ninja the great white whatever it is mm-hmm. they're always you know amazing at what they do and the reality is chris farley would never be that guy uh that not to not to yeah okay not to segue too far from there but i told you that i recently got the, the tubi app for my my tv right Tubi, the streaming service okay. yeah yeah 
Yeah, all they have is really bad movies, a lot of them. <laughs> and most of the martial arts movies are that shit you just said, The Great White Hole. Like, there's a whole, there's a series of movies called American Ninja from the 80s. They are awful. Well, and so a du- that, yeah. that's what I liked about, about um, Beverly Hills Ninja that I thought was so funny was they were taking that stupid trope of an idea and they were playing it out for the farce that it is. So I thought that was funny. I thought Chris Rock's character, who's just like, I've never met a ninja before, who's suddenly like worshiping at his feet, teach me how to do all the cool stuff you know how to do, even though like a normal person who's not into that world would look at it and be like, this guy ain't shit. Like you'd stand back and watch for five minutes and you see his brother saves us. Like, oh, so that's the real ninja. That's the guy. Okay, that's who I want to train with. And he, he still managed to have that kind of... Um, you know, misanthropic, lovable character about him. Even though he's screwing up, he's still kind of because he yeah. had a good heart. You know, he was always trying to do it right, even though he was just a screw up. And I, yeah. and honestly, the one thing that I probably remember most from the movie. So this is probably going to talk about again where it needed to have another couple of passes to get better. There's this this running gag where he's staying at, shit, I remember, like the Beverly Hills or Beverly Wilsh or some really nice hotel. And the boy goes in this hotel room, he takes his shoes off the wall, he goes inside. He keeps coming out, and the staff just seems to sitting there. And there's a moment where he goes, I'm trying to find the son of a bitch stealing my shoes. That part of that was pretty funny. I was like, well, all right, because it's somebody who's traveled a little bit and that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, I, I get how that cultural disconnect could happen. But yeah. I didn't think it was like, I think it was horrible. I, I agree with that you might not have liked it, but I mean, I didn't think it was that bad. To each his own, man. I guess. Well, I will say of his last films, my favorite is is actually, um, and this is including obviously Beverly Hills, uh, almost serious. I'm getting to that actually. That's why. That's why. That's why I was. I was, I was like, I was like, where, where is he going with this? Like, like I don't want to. I want to step on the shit. So yeah, we we going. We gonna get there. We gonna get there. Okay. Let me finish up. Let me, let me finish up with trivia. Yeah. We we'll get to that. Okay. We get. We actually. That's the next thing. We're going into the movies. Okay. But uh, just real quick. Uh, you actually mentioned this earlier. Chris Friday was often described as an extremely kind and generous person, and he would actually go out his way to help people in need. One of the things he would do, which you mentioned, is he would stop and always give uh, money to the homeless. Like whenever he would, whenever he was on the street, he, he always gave money to the homeless. Uh, he also, again, was credited for doing most of his own stunts and most of his movies because there's very few people of his girth in Hollywood in terms of stunt people. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now let's go ahead and get into a few of his movies. Uh, this next, this first one, we're gonna do a full watch along for. I know we are, uh, but I just wanted to keep it simple for this particular uh, thing here. Uh, so he has a quote about his movie roles. He said, "Basically, I only play one character. I just play him at different. I just play him at different volumes." <laughs> so, uh, so the first one we're gonna talk about, Tommy Boy. Since we mentioned that before, this is actually Chris. Farley's first starring role. Uh, Farley and David Spade actually had to fly back and forth from Toronto to New York to rehearse and perform for SNL because they were both still cast members at the time of them making this movie. And again, back uh, when SNL finally decided to let him go, they got tired of that. Exactly. Uh, David Spade actually said the whole fat guy in the little coat thing started as a joke between him and Farley backstage at SNL. Now, uh, so like, Farley would often break the monotony of them having to write and write and write all the time by pranking David Spade with this idea. So he would basically take 
uh, David Spade's a, a jacket, and he would walk around like, you know, bad guy look up, bad guy look up. And uh, yeah, they described, they described it to the writers of the movie. It's like, dude, that's funny. Let's put that in the movie. So that's what they did. Who's, who's to us? Oh, yeah, yeah. Fat guy in a little coat. <laughs> Fat guy in a little coat. You need places and braces for the coat. <laughs> right down there. Uh, yeah. Okay, so uh, the phrase, holy shnikes, from the movie, was actually something that Chris Farley used to do when he was a kid because his mom had a very strict you know, swearing policy in the house. So that was his alternative, holy shnikes. <laughs> I like that. Um, so apparently for the role, they, they went to Chris Farley first because he was a star, and they asked who they wanted him in terms of who the star would have His two choices were David Spade or Adam Sandler. Now, Adam Sandler couldn't do it because he was actually shooting Billy Madison at the time, so it went to David Spade. Which actually works out because, I mean, the thing about the two of them together, they were basically a modern incarnation of Laurel and Hardy. Mm-hmm. David Spade, David Spade, he played the seminal straight man in all of their all of their comedic collaborations, where you had had Chris Farley playing this over-the-top comedic kind of screwball who was constantly getting them into trouble, but he had such a good heart that nobody could ever totally dis- discredit him or get rid of him. And he'd ultimately at some point find a way to make up for all the along the way that caused that problem. No, it, it was a, it was a great um, a great setup and a great pairing between the two of them. They, they brought a lot together, and I would say that um, arguably say that was yeah. as important for David Spade in his career as it was for Chris. Because yeah. uh, and I think you can look at that based on what David Spade's career has been since then. Um, I mean, he's there's no question he's still been successful and he's done a lot of good stuff. But I'd say solo kind of had to work. That's about it. Yeah, he's really all he's got is Joe Dirt. Yeah, aside from that, I mean, he's done he's done some TV shows. He's had some roles on some TV shows where he's done great. And in fact, my parents mm-hmm. what does that show um, Rules of Engagement. And no, he, uh, Eight Simple Rules. No, it's, it's Rules. Of, my rules yeah, eight simple, yeah, Eight Simple Rules. Uh, he was on Just Shoot Me and that shit. Yeah. yeah and, and, and look, his stand-up is still as solid as it ever was because um, he's he's a great stand-up comedian. He's he's hilarious, but. I think when you look at him from a from an acting standpoint, um, it, I think it hurt him just as much as as anybody. And again, it goes back to kind of the reality I think of of how deeply he was hurt. Really, really was like part of the soul. Yeah. Now you had mentioned this. Yeah, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, Farley and Spade actually got into a physical altercation of the Sentinel Tommy Boy because yeah. apparently. Uh, Spade had went out one night to have drinks with Rob Lowe, and I guess Friday was really jealous of that because he wanted to be, you know, he's like, you know, I, I want you to be my friend or whatever, that kind of shit. So Farley was really jealous, and he kept angrily repeating, how's Rob Lowe? And, just kept, and then apparently, David Spade got so fed up with Chris hounding him about this shit, he actually threw his Diet Coke in Chris Farley's face, and Chris responded by throwing David into a wall and down the stairs. Uh, <laughs> After the fight, David Spade walked off the set and refused to continue filming the Tommy Boy. They would go on for hours without talking to each other, and they, or they would talk to each other through the, through the director. So, yeah. 
And oh yeah, and then uh, uh, another part, of, another uh, thing of contention before you go, man. Another thing of contention was they actually both ended up dating. You know the the one scene where they had the naked girl in the pool. Yeah. They both ended up dating her. <laughs> I didn't realize that. The, the, yeah, only, that the only thing I was going to say about you know his his jealousy and that whole thing because this is one of those deals. I'm I'm trying to remember. I think it was his girlfriend at the time was the last person to see him before he died. You know, and talk about the, the, the kind of dark side of that comedic genius. Um, it's indicative of that personality and his issues with self-esteem and everything else that you can see how jealous and hurt he was that he was left out. Essentially yeah. worried that he's losing his friend. Um, yeah. He watched, what is that? Um, I think the documentary is called I Am Chris Farley. If I'm not mistaken. I Am Chris Farley, yep. I know you'll get to that a little more in a minute, but you, you watch a little bit, a little bit, yeah. You listen to the folks talk about, talk about him. I mean, that's the that's the dark of the sadder says that as funny as he was, again, as you see, it's a lot of comedians, uh, it was masking that that pain and that desire for acceptance that you know he always had trouble with. So. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I said, and that tension between them over the the girl really actually spilled over to black sheep too, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, the uh, you see with the girl in the pool yeah they, they yeah they were they were pissed with each other about that is one of the funniest scenes if you've never if you've never watched it yeah. you right now david spit so chris farley is going to go out to look for a pizza or something and no 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 like you know some pizza but he's like uh you know what the weight room is that's when he runs into the chicks but he yeah yeah so David Spade's going to close up for the night. He looks out the window and sees this girl getting ready to go skinny dipping. So he's standing up there watching her skinny dip. There's a thing you talked about, Chris Farley, when he runs into her first, like, hey, you know where the weight room is? She's like, no, sorry. He's like, it's all right, I'll check it out. He ends yeah. up <laughs> as David Spade is looking out the window, obviously, because you hear the sound of a zipper. Yeah, he's masturbating. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. If uh, Farley comes back and catches him in the act, and shit. Like, what are you doing? Oh yeah, yeah, that whole scene is great. Like, oh, it's like, uh, I was just looking for a briefcase. Uh, did she find a restaurant? No, they were closed. How were you? Uh, how were you looking at your files when they were in your briefcase? Hmm, that's, that's a- intriguing. Yeah, that's intriguing. Were you watching Spectre Vision? That's a pretty girl out there. I wonder if she goes out with one of the Yankees. No, there's one more before that. It's like, oh, man, maybe it's a movie with that funny comedian. Oh, what's his name? Buddy Wacky? <laughs> and, of course, of course, the one in the bed afterwards. Yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, Richard, who's your favorite little rascal? Alfalfa? Or is it Spanky? <laughs> Sinner. <laughs> It's the last slide. It's the sinner that tells it. Yes, yeah, sinner. <laughs> oh, and then the scene after that where they're like in the car and they have the uh, montage of them riding along doing sales and shit. One of the songs that uh, that plays in there is the the future so bright I gotta wear shades by the band uh, Tim Buck Three. Mm-hmm. They're actually from Chris Farley's hometown. I didn't realize that. Yeah, that band's from Chris Farley's hometown, Madison, Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah, and also uh, in the movie, Tommy graduates from Marquette University, which is Chris Farley's real alma mater. So that was Chris Farley's real college. Well, it starts out with him, him smoking weed and getting drunk with a bunch of rugby freaks, which, again, he played on the rugby team in college. And you see him in a rugby jacket in the movie. Yeah, wearing his rugby jersey, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. We're not gonna quit. No, we aren't. We're gonna show this world a thing too. We're gonna show. <laughs> Takes out the coffee table. I like. I like who his friends are watching on TV later. Like, uh, is Tommy's? Hey, Tommy gotten fat? No, nah, man. It's TV, man. Camera adds a couple hundred pounds. <laughs> like, oh. <laughs> I like I like that whole scene where everybody's just watching TV and then like someone would change it. Like uh this one guy like, hey, don't you hey, don't you know that guy, honey? Oh yeah, about break pass with him. I know we're watching cartoons. Then they showed the movie tunes. <laughs> oh, and the people the people in the diner, yeah. Like you wanna watch this on American Gladiators? It was like Uh, we got yeah, we gotta do a watch along for Tommy Boy. Dog. It's such a fucking funny movie. Uh, okay, do I have anything more else? Yeah, that's okay. So last thing about Tommy Boy, it opened on theaters at uh, March thirty first, nineteen ninety five. Grossed eight million dollars on its opening weekend. Uh, opened up first on the box office and it had a total of thirty seven million dollars over its run, which apparently uh, well, it didn't t- it didn't cost that much to, to make, so it's pretty decent money, for, especially for nineteen ninety five. Especially, but it doesn't include yeah. DVD and uh, DVD and Blu-ray sales. It's had some. Sure doesn't. Of course, Tommy Boy's going on to have a great cult following since. Oh, sure. uh, and then the next movie they have, Black Sheep, which we mentioned that this is, of course, Chris Farley and David Spade's last movie together. Now, after reading the script, Chris Farley said he wasn't crazy about this movie, and he only agreed to do it after he co- after he got some coaxing from David Spade, who wanted to. Now, Law Michaels said this movie is actually a very desperate act by Paramount. The studio had underpromoted Tommy Boy, and I was looking to cash in on the same comedic formula that made Tommy Boy a cult classic. Uh, at that time, Law Michaels had just finished a contentious battle with the studio over Wayne's World 2, and the animosity between SNL and Paramount spilled over into Chris Farley's contract. Uh, with Paramount. So apparently, although Farley's agent had lined up possible roles in The Cable Guy and Kingpin, actually, uh, the studio actually wanted another buddy comedy between him and Spade. That's what they wanted. It's it's kind of uh, it's kind of worth noting, um, and I mean, we don't have to go on into those films because he only had bit parts, but uh, yeah. Farley action in Wayne's World and Wayne's World 2 playing different characters in both films. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that. I'm gonna get to that. Don't, don't go to that. Didn't miss that because chronologically it happened so much earlier. But I'll let you stick with Black Sheep. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that. And now, actually, the last thing about Black Sheep is two of the security guards that you see with Chris Farley's character doing the rock the vote scene were actually Chris Farley's brothers, Kevin and John Farley. What you're talking about when he was explaining to him about when he was at the kill that to kill Whitey shit on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Was that the later part on stage or earlier when he's showing off the, the whole thing from the bounce off? No, it was Venice Beach bounce off in '92 or whatever. When Mr. Yes. <laughs> no, no. We, like, I think I think they uh, either put him on, pull him on stage or some shit like that. Or pull him on stage. Oh, Those okay. security guards are his brothers. That's cool. Uh, okay, last movie we're gonna talk about in terms of Chris starring roles for Chris Farley was Almost Hero. You can't go that quick and skip. Be in the show that has what would Busey say? Not but, Gary Busey. I, but it's not like I was like that's another one I want to do in terms of like but we gotta talk about it for half a second because Okay, okay, okay. Gary Busey. For those of you who don't know, Gary Busey, the one who the exalted one that we talk about on this show, is in Black Sheep 
with David Spade and Chris Farley as a uh, Sergeant Drake Savage. I believe that was his name. And he's like this crazy army bed living out in a, a trailer in the woods. And you first see him in the movie, he's encountering David Spade first. Like David Spade like flicks him off and he runs away, but then he's stuck in traffic and he like uh Gary Busey apparently steals his car. So you see him like a while later, they find Savage's trailer and David Spade is like pissing like in, in his in the vicinity of his like house or whatever. And Savage catches him and <laughs> he's sitting there the whole time just pissing on himself while Savage is like attacking him. And then he, uh, and, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, and he's like, I just, I just want my car back. And he's like, oh, the car? Is that all? <laughs> Why'd you tell me, man? So he's like, here's the keys. He has a gun in his hand, too. Here's my apology. <laughs> Blast the car. <laughs> then Chris Farley comes to the rescue. I think Chris Farley was in the trailer watching movies or some shit while they were waiting for him. And then he comes out, and him and, and Farley and Gary Busey have a fucking sumo match. <laughs> and then, like, it gets to the point where actually Chris Farley actually gains the upper hand on Gary Busey. Gary Busey's supposed to be, like, this trained army guy. And Gary Busey, whoa, 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 hey, I'm really impressed. Sergeant Drake Savage. How you doing, Mike Donnelly? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Come on in, man. Hey, hey, hey uh, Drake, do you have any, uh, Drake, do you have any Bruce Lee movies? I got every last one of them, Laserdisc. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and without giving too much weight, we should do the watch along. The Drake Savage character is literally pivotal to the entire arc of the story. Comes back in at the end and helps them as they save the day. But the craziness of Gary Busey meets perfectly with the craziness of Chris Farley for some of the best. I, I'd say they probably have an, an entire seven and a half minutes of the entire film together, maybe 10. Yeah. Fucking hilarious. Some of the best. Yeah. But Black Sheep, when he gets on the stage, like, uh, like now Mr. Widowmaker here is going to start shooting this. Everybody starts moving. This is what this young man is saying. <laughs> Go ahead, Drake. Go ahead, Mike. And like, uh, he talk, and Chris Farley starts talking about, like, it's like voter fraud. That's what it was. Because they're like, he's talking about all the great people that voted for him, including Savage's relatives. And some ladies like, we're proud to have them as well. Hold your tongue, winch. What you didn't know was that Sergeant Savage was killed even Jima. The Zeppelin landed on his head. Smash his head clean through his ass. That was my granddaddy. Rest in peace, sir. <laughs> oh, it's hilarious. It's it's a fantastic bit to watch. That's why I want to at least make sure I put it out there since uh, Okay. But yeah, we're we'll gonna do a, a I'm pretty sure we'll do a full watch along for Black Sheep. Yeah. yeah, that was a great part with Gary Busey. So yeah, we're gonna do some Gary Busey watch alongs. Just just for the sake of the show. Actually, in keeping with what we were talking about before at the end, so when they dedicated uh, Chris Farley's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it was Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Rob Schneider. Uh, the three of them actually made speeches. Um, our, uh, Arn, uh, Tom Arnold came out, and Gary Busey did as well. You can see all, all five of them standing there holding the sign. So that connection from that one movie connected those two guys all the way up through the end. Gary fucking Busey. <laughs> yeah. All right, now let's go ahead and get to Almost Heroes. Now, the script itself was written under the title Edwards and Hunt. Uh, apparently, since the screenwriters at the, at the time were actually had the same agent as Steve Odenkirk, who, had known, who was known at this time for writing with Jim Carrey, you know, Ace Ventura and shit like that, uh, 
Odenkirk himself was actually able to help this script circulate. And it became a hot script and actually got produced by, uh, purchased by Turner Pictures. And uh, the first person cast in the movie was Chris Farley. Now, Bill Murray, Hugh Laurie, and Hugh Gray were all considered for the role of Leslie Edwards, which eventually, which eventually went to uh, Matthew Perry. Uh, the movie, of course, marks the last uh, leading role of Chris Farley, uh, who died five months after this movie was released. Yeah. Uh, and also, but it would not be his last film appearance ever, because that would be actually a cameo he did in the movie Dirty Work the same year. If I remember right. Yeah, it was a cameo, yeah. Uh, now, since we talked about that, Chris Farley has only starred in four movies for his entire career. The rest of his stuff in film has been supporting roles. Well, uh, like, yeah. Well, real quick, though, before we brush all the way past it, if you've never seen Almost Heroes, it's, it's yeah. what, the concept. It's one of those high concept films that, you know, Paramount, a lot of those guys were into at the time. So the idea was everyone's heard of Lewis and Clark, you know, yeah. across the, uh, the American plans of Sacagawea helping them along the way to be the first people to circumnavigate the, the continent from the Atlantic to the Pacific. So Chris Farley and Matthew Perry put together their band of explorers because they're going to beat Lewis and Clark. And so they actually, they go through this whole thing, they're beating Lewis and Clark. At the end, because they beat them to the and instead of going back to tell everyone about what they did, they continue on with their adventure. And so, you don't know for sure, but obviously, something happens to them. Yeah, but along the way, it was hilarious. I, I and this is what I was saying before it's definitely better than Beverly Hills Cop. You still have Ninja, I said Beverly Hills Ninja. Sorry, yeah. Uh, yeah, Beverly Hills Cop. That's a whole other thing. That's, that's yes, a whole other thing. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that's great is you still get that physicality Chris Farley's known for, but mm-hmm. I think that he was frustrated with in Beverly Hills Ninja and that stuff, you, you don't see it in there. I mean, his his character, mm-hmm. even though there's a moment or two where stuff doesn't quite work out for him, he's yeah. really more of a diamond in the rough character. There's, there's, he's not the one who's screwing up so much as he's fixing other people's screw-ups. In- yeah, he's actually the leader of the group. Yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's the big, burly man leader, alpha male yeah, leader. The mountain man who's saving the slightly more... Um, effeminate. Well, well, effeminate's one word. I was going to say slightly more um, um, academic, Matt Perry, uh, because Matthew yeah. Perry's character is like supposed to be more like, he was educated at Harvard, like one of those kind of guys who's like, he doesn't have street smarts, he doesn't understand the wilderness or how to really do any of this. But he's going for, for the glory, essentially, to try to prove that he's, you know, worth something as an explorer. And yeah. to rescue him on a number of occasions. And it, it just makes for a really kind of an interesting and fresh look at Chris Farley and his style of comedy, while still maintaining just absolutely hard. Yeah, since we're going there, like, might as well talk about a couple of my favorite scenes from all those heroes. Uh, one of them was uh, when they actually had Chris Farley at a party. Like it's like a posh, like you know, they had the aristocratic party where he's like just eating stuff out of, his, out, you know, just being a mountain man, and then uh, they ask him about, about Indians and shit. Like, uh, what will happen is when the Indian catches a white man, he will open his, he will split open his skull and eat his brains with a crudely fashioned uh, fork. They're like, have you seen such atrocities? I've uh, seen the forks. <laughs> And then when they start leaving and everybody like all the crew people are like suggesting they go to different places and shit. And also of the crew, one of my favorite was uh is Eugene Levy as the French guy, Guy Fontenot, who was like <laughs> who's supposed to be their language dude, 
but didn't speak any other languages. Yeah, none. Yeah, but he had the hot Indian girlfriend. That's yeah. So who's who's supposed to be the secretary who actually does speak all the other languages? Exactly. But uh, <laughs> at one point, he's like, uh, "Hey, can you talk to them?" Ha ha ha. Ha, 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 Why do I laugh? Because of the many languages which I speak fluent, this is not one of them. <laughs> and, then, yeah, and then when they're like about to leave on their voyage and all these, yeah, big cruel people. And then they're like uh, talking about all the dangers and shit that happened. And they're like, we, we could go to New Orleans instead. And I was like, ooh, yeah, let's go to New Orleans. He's like, okay, I'll give you a choice. You can join us, or if you want to go to the decadence of New Orleans, you can go ahead and leave. And then everybody starts leaving. And then I say, you know, Chris Farley, he's like, Mr. Hunt, do something. Chris Farley pulls out a gun, shoots up in there. Next man to leave for New Orleans will do so with a land ball in his back. And it's like, uh, like, well, what about the other guys? Well, they will be dealt with. By whom? Okay, they escaped. Now get off the boat! <laughs> One of my worst dentists when they finally get to that that wilderness fort. Chris oh, yeah. the dentist. Well the barber slash dentist for the tooth. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, uh like you smell like something that's passed through the system of sick old woman. <laughs> hey, uh, well I guess maybe I should use a bath too. He's like, good idea. <laughs> or uh <laughs> we couldn't read. And then, and then the slave had to read for him. Ma Hapa And the slave's like, oh for God's sake, man. It says welcome to Snakes Bend. Oh, okay, okay. Snakes Bend. I almost got it. <laughs> What's the, oh, when they described the uh, described the wilderness to the other people, like, uh, could you tell us about some of the experiences? Okay. Uh, what I remember most was the animals. Ah, the animals. This fearsome beasts of the mountains and plains. I saw a bear, so powerful, that snapped a man's body in half with his huge jaws. It's, ah, <laughs> I saw a, I saw a badger with hands as big as frying pans. Seven ripped faces right off. It's right off, man. You can't do nothing with that. I saw a hawk swoop down from the sky <laughs> and scoop out a man's eyeballs. And the guy was screaming, "I'm blind! I can't see! Get it off! Get it off!" Twice when I went fishing. Okay, stop! 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 <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Or when they see the oh when they see the naked chick, the alien chick naked for the first time, and like Matthew Perry sees her through like a telescope, and then um Chris Farley catches him. He's like, Hey, why don't you just gaze on a thing of beauty? He's like, Okay, okay, I'll gaze on the thing of beauty. He listen to he listen to the telescope, and it's the French guy naked. And they happen to be bathing together or whatever. And it's like, Oh my god. <laughs> now on from now on, keep your distance, all right? And Matthew Perry said, what? Like, no, no, get out of the way, you big French oaf. <laughs> Behind Fontenot. And Lucy sees the girl, it's like, oh yeah, I see. Whoa. Isn't she beautiful? Whoa. Hey, stop, stop it. Like, oh. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh, I understand. You want to <laughs> look at her by yourself. <laughs> 
uh, I guess you want to uh, shake hands with Ben Franklin. Huh? <laughs> it's like, you know, polish the pewter. <laughs> he's like, oh, polish the pewter. I have, I have my slave do that. He's like, oh, yeah, right. What? No, no. <laughs> that shit was funny. Uh, but yeah, All Those Heroes, funny movie. I love All Those Heroes. He hadn't have died when he did. It would have gotten the exploitation. It should have. They would have marketed it properly, and more people would have seen it. Because that really, shit, yeah. Oh yeah, another really silly part I like, and it doesn't really have much to do with Chris Farley. But there's a part where they like get captured by the bad guy, and after they're on like an obstacle course, and at one point it's like you got to like walk across corn. Yeah, yeah, cream corn, and then one, the bad guy's like, "Whose idea was the corn?" And the French guy's like. <laughs> 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 it was so weird, man. All right. Now, let's, uh, we talked about that. Let's go ahead and get into a couple of the cameos of Chris Farley. Now, the first one, Billy Madison, where he plays the, where he plays the bus driver. <laughs> so, <laughs> doing, okay, so apparently during the bus driver scene where Chris Farley started turning bright red from aggravation, that was improvised by Chris. Yeah. So, I'll turn this goddamn bus around. <laughs> That on your precious little field trip, pretty damn quick. Like, he's like, like getting red, like, <laughs> like what the hell? And then uh, the uh, the quote where he's like goes on the bus, good, great, wonderful, fantastic. No yelling on the bus. That was improvised. Yeah. Well, that so that line that's kind of like close to his catchphrase. He did it, uh, I think, in one of the uh, the Wayne's World stewards. Good, great, fantastic, wonderful. No, no, no. He he does another one. Like uh, he did the same character. He did a he did the same thing for another character in Airheads. He was a cop in Airheads. Oh, Airheads. Yeah, Airheads. Yeah, the uh, the rock the rock and roll movie with Adam Sandler, Brendan Fraser, and yeah, Steve Buscemi. Yeah, that's an underrated movie. I like I love I like Airheads. You know what? You know what's hilarious though about the bus driver scene? I guess on the behind the scenes. Uh, apparently, since that whole thing was essentially improvised, it was so funny and so real and so great that Adam Sandler kept busting up and it actually caused him problems in the editing room. They had to cut around Adam Sandler and him just losing it laughing to be able to <laughs> couldn't keep it together. It was just too much. Yeah, I love it. He's like, <clears throat> oh yeah, um, radical buzz, one cheap piece of ace. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, you did it in my thing. Yeah, I did it. No, you didn't. No, but, uh, uh, I had a buddy of mine, him and her got it on. Woo-wee! <laughs> no, yeah, I didn't. No, but uh, you can imagine what that'd be like, right? right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And then you see them later, like, they still, like, they stole some kids' lunches and then they eating the guy shit eating his kids' lunches. <laughs> so fucking stupid, man. And then, oh, yeah, then the, the weird old part at the end where he's, like, in a field dancing with, like, a, a Penguin mascot. I guess the penguin mascot is like jerking them off. It's so, it's so weird. Oh man. Oh yeah. Uh, Coneheads. Coneheads. Yeah. He plays the boy. Yeah, he played the boyfriend and Cone, Connie's boyfriend and Coneheads. Uh, I love when they, the subway scene is what kills me. Like, uh, uh, he's talking about his family's like. Mo, my mother's from the old country. My mother's from yeah. My mother's from the, uh, the old country. Uh, like which one? I don't know. One of the smaller ones. 
And then she like scarfs down like a giant foot long sandwich. You sitting there like, my God, my grandma's the only one I know that can take a sandwich like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or oh, when he uh when he the the sex scene with with the conehead sex scene where they had the sensor ring helmets. No, right before that, they're like uh in like they're like in the room making out to like uh is that I, I forgot who makes that song. Is that uh uh Hot red hot chili peppers to do that. That's red hot chili peppers, right? Using the uh, using the music video for that song. What was um? Oh shit, I can't remember the name of the song, but I know the one you're talking about because they they actually put him in the music video afterwards. Oh okay, but yeah, like uh, they're making out to that song, and she breaks out the sensor ring. Well, in fact, I was gonna say uh, just uh, cameo stuff real quick on that that note. Um, they did the song uh, "Purple Stain" in Californication in '99. Was about Chris Farley. Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I was gonna get to that too. Yeah, yeah they dedicated to him. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. That earlier connection with him on Coneheads. True. Yeah, and then like I said, he uh, they, they had the sensor ring shit where they do like sensory sex or whatever for the Coneheads. Uh, but yeah, I, I liked him in that movie too. He just like you know he wasn't a, he wasn't like a jerk or whatever jerk boyfriend, but he's just like, like a big goof. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he loved Connie Conehead, and of course, this is one of the rare SNL movies where it has past cast members. They have, like uh, Dan Aykroyd, Jane Curtin, uh, Lorraine Newman, Garrett Morris, Jan Hooks, Julia Sweeney, John Lovitz. Then current cast members: Adam Sandler, David Spade, Chris Farley, Phil Hartman, Kevin Nealon, Tim Meadows, and then future cast members because Kevin McKeon, who plays one of the agents, eventually joined. SNL like a year after this movie. Hmm. So yeah, it had a, it had, I think it had all together 16 SNL alumni, one of which was actually from, they had one alumni from Fridays, Michael Richards, and one alumni from SCTV, Dave Thomas. Dave Thomas was like the king conehead. Well, yeah, that was in fact, I was, when I was reading about it, they were saying the one of the most interesting things from an SNL standpoint about Coneheads is that you had prior SNL cast members, you had current SNL cast members, and then again with Kevin Nealon, you had future SNL cast members. So it's, it's kind of this weird, it's almost like the, uh, uh, what was it, the, the 1955 Back Future Crossroads of SNL, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and then of course it's just a really silly movie as it was. I like Coneheads. There's another one I think is really good. Right. Uh, and then of course we talked about uh, the Wayne's World movies. The Wayne's World movies are actually, particularly the first one, that is Chris Farley's big screen debut. It's his cameo on Wayne's World. He's the, the first one. He's the security guard at the Alice Cooper concert. He's giving them exaggerated uh, fucking, uh, really exaggerated fucking uh, directions and telling them what the dude Frankie Sharp or Sharp Records schedule is. Next stop, he's going to be in Chicago. No, he's going to go to, uh, 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 he's, he's going to be in St. Louis. He's going to go to Chicago on his way to Detroit. Thank you. <laughs> And it's like, uh, <laughs> you think this is going to play off? And they, they listen to the camera like, you sure had a lot of information for the security guard, don't you think? <laughs> Either you really think, uh, maybe this information is going to pay off later. <laughs> it's so stupid. And of course, he, he appears in the next movie, Wayne's World 2, as their friend Milton. And I love that. I love that. That's one of my, one of my favorite Chris Farley roles because it's so simple but so fucking hilarious. Where he's like, yeah, "Hey, what's up, man? Like, I'm happy to see you guys, man. Good tunes, good brew, good buds, man. I feel 
great, man. I feel great. I don't know why, man. I hate my father. I hate my life. But I feel great, man. You guys are great. He's like, yeah. I'm going to go pick a fight. <laughs> and he leaves. And Wayne and Garth are like, he's got a lot better, don't you think? Yeah, way better. <laughs> Like, what was he before? Like, goddamn. Oh, and then he's auditioning to be the roadie, one of the roadies. And they do, like, the test with, like, the balls, <laughs> with the tennis ball sheet. So it has, like, a little breakdown. And Wayne goes up to him and was like, you're worthless. You're less than nothing. What's keeping you here? Why don't you just leave? And does it. Because I got no place else to go. <laughs> From uh, an officer and a gentleman. <laughs> Oh, man, so fucking stupid. Uh, oh, yeah, and then he does like a, a callback line at the end of the movie because at the beginning of the movie, Wayne is like, like it's some kind of, I think it's an Aerosmith concert or something like that. And then Cassandra leaves to go somewhere else and they leave Wayne behind. He's like, hey, man, my girlfriend's in there. And the, the, the guy there is like, hey, man, a lot of people's girlfriends. <laughs> and then Chris Farley does that shit to Christopher Walken like at the end of the movie. We talk about Cassandra. It's like, hey, my, my girlfriend's in there. Hey, man. A lot of people's girlfriends are in there. <laughs> oh, such a great movie. Man. Jeez. Yeah. And actually, a crazy fact I found out about Wayne's World, too. It actually has a lot of people that were in Batman movies in that one movie. Kim Basinger, Honey Hornet. Yeah. In, in Batman 89. Christopher Walken, Max Shrek in Batman Returns. And Drew Barrymore, you know, Sugar. Sugar. Spice from Batman Forever. <laughs> okay, that, we can move on. <laughs> we got it. <laughs> we got to do. We get. We we got to finish our Batman, you know, viewing shit because we got first one down. Yeah, we definitely got to. We got to do returns, and we got to do forever. Uh, uh, here's what I'm gonna say. We 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 can go all the way through Batman and Robin, but. If we're gonna do, if we're gonna get into Schumacher, we're gonna do the whole thing. And we're gonna survive it together. But what <laughs> break before we get into Dark Knight because Dark Knight Returns is what we're all living through right now. <laughs> I feel like no, the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight Rises, yeah. Rises. I'm sorry, Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, I, I, that's what we're living through. So let's we can wait it's a year. Fucking, <laughs> it's fucking no man's land right now. It really is. Anyway, okay, so stay. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, now we're coming to the end of this, but like we got to talk about the elephant in the room. We got to talk about the death of Chris Farley. Let's do a little more about Airheads first. We barely, we barely scratched the surface on that. I'll, 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 I really, I'll be honest with you. Like Chris Farley didn't really have that much great stuff in Airheads. He had the one thing we ripped off the dude's nipple. But that's nipple ring, but that's about it. But as a film, it's I think one of the more underrated films. Okay, I do. I'll give you that. Okay, so my, my favorite part of the movie when they have Harold Ramis as an executive, and they try to put him in there, and it's like, hey man, come on, I'm an executive. Like, you know, like you guys are the hottest thing since Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Like, Marky Mark, that guy sucked. <laughs> <laughs> oh, when they, uh, oh yeah, uh, when they, they test him on rock culture, he's like, uh, who, who side did you take? Van Halen or uh, Lee Roth? Van Halen. He's a cop. Like, okay, okay, uh, like, <laughs> uh, who win the fist fight? Let me or God. Let me ain't God. True question, dickhead. Let me is God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, and then uh, Chester. 
when you know, when uh the cop reveals his name to be Chester, it's supposed to Chet, uh, what, Chaz or Chet? I think it's Chaz. Yes. I'm like, it's yeah, Chester. <laughs> and then they had the big emboldened. I do like the speech part where he's like, I was a geek in high school. I uh, I played D and D. I played D and D. I picked my boogers. My name's not Chaz. It's Chester. I can understand if you don't want to be with me anymore. And then now you see all the people in the crowd like, I played D and D too. Yeah, I was part. Of, it was on some. It was, I think it was Lemmy. He's like, I was on the chess team. <laughs> and some guy like, I used to masturbate constantly. <laughs> His friends beat him up. Oh shit! Turn turn dark in here. Oh, ooh. <laughs> this is light. Is, this is light as shit. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, oh, darkness. Okay. We're gonna have to just listen to it since they can't see it, but he's got this new headset that has a blue LED. <laughs> he looked like he looked like Doctor Freeze. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid fucking light I have. It keeps short now for some fucking reasons. But yes, I have a I have a black bright blue light on my headphones now, <laughs> and yeah, it's kind of distracting. I have to do something with my mouth. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, but but uh. Yeah, uh, and then the girl, but the girl, oh yeah, the same speech. The girls are going crazy for him. Like, we love you, Chaz. I want your body. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, and then the Adam Sandler character, who's like the dumb guy, but he got all the chicks. Yeah. Apparently, he's like a chick magnet. And then he has the one dumb blonde who's like really into him. And then like in the, oh yeah, and then they like in the uh, the little room or whatever. He's like, she's like, what are you thinking about? Swimming pools. Yeah, I like I like I like to get in the water, you know. <laughs> and then he ends up getting laid because it's so damn dumb. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, airheads. Watch airheads if you get a chance. Of course, Chris Barley's last cameo in Dirty Work. In Dirty Work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was okay. Uh, Dirty Work is alright. Pretty, pretty hilarious. What was his character's name? He keeps going on and on about how he got his nose bitten off by I know what you're talking about. I haven't seen Dirty Work in so long. He comes in and out. He's got two or three little cameos in it where he keeps coming in and out in the film. But the whole thing is he basically had his his nose bitten off by like some cheap prostitute in like Thailand or something. (laughs) Oh yeah, since we're talking about prostitutes, you gotta go back to Tommy Boy. That's when the horrors come in. (laughs) (laughs) What what are you talking about? (laughs) Ever since. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. All the money for your groceries. Go, uh, go spend all your groceries on your family. No, instead he'll spend it on the whore. <laughs> Jesus H. Christ. Once during the war, I visited a prostitute, and my life's been a living hell ever since. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but yeah. Uh, like I said, let's go and get to. Let's go and get to. What? What? Yeah, though, in dirty work is that. Is that he's constantly complaining about how he got his nose bitten off by like the 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 whore in Bangkok or whatever. He gets back together with her. She bites his nose off again at the end of the film. He's got this horrible prosthetic thing on the tip of his nose. It's absolutely ridiculous. I actually watched Dirty Work again a couple months ago because I hadn't seen it for so long, and mm-hmm. it doesn't really hold up that well. But it's still worth the watch. 
Yeah. Yeah, it is what it is, man. It's back in the day when you'd actually be stuck with whatever was being programmed on. If you came on Comedy Central, I'd be like, all right, I'll watch My favorite thing of Norm McDonald recently is the thing with comedians and cars getting coffee. What are you talking about? Kojak? Is <laughs> <laughs> he <you> laughing already? <laughs> Norm huh? I said, Norm's just a funny guy. He's fucking hilarious, man. Yeah, but like uh, with two things in that particular episode that were funny. When he's talking about, uh, hey, I was I was I was watching Patton Oswalt. He was talking about uh, the hypocrisy of Bill Cosby. And he's like, that's the worst thing about this whole thing is the hypocrisy. And I was like, I thought it was the raping. <laughs> <laughs> but he but he's sitting there talking to uh, Jerry about Kojak. He's like, you know, he's had a partner. His partner's the rookie. And he sees his girl, and the girl's like, hey, yeah. Uh, I talked to the girl's mother, and she said uh, she was a good girl. And, and Kojak, you know, being Kojak, he's like, yeah, she's a good girl. Mom's apple pie. The 4th of July. She's a hooker! <laughs> so fucking stupid. And of course, the best Norm McDonald joke ever on SNL, we can update. The OJ verdict. It's official. Murder is legal in the state of California. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> this is the, that's like, and that's honestly like it's the, it's the biggest frustration. And it's like it's one one of the things I love so much about the last Dave Chappelle uh, special when he stands up and he's basically he's he does two things that are great in it. One, he stands up for all comedians. He's like, if they if this is somebody who's doing this art professionally. I'll defend them, whatever they're saying, whether you like their joke or don't like their joke, because, you know, it's, it's an art form that we need and it's important and all the different reasons he lays out. And then the other part is fucking hilarious. He goes, then there's some folks out there who I know them, I've, them, I've heard them saying some shit behind scenes, and I get here and get up, and they, they tell this joke, and people are like, oh, shit, that's crazy. Oh, that's so funny. And the funniest part to me is that I know he means that shit. <laughs> <laughs> said that you're laughing at because it's so ridiculous you're like going oh my god that's over the top that's crazy you think it's funny no that's that's how it feels that's actually how it feels yeah <laughs> uh, all right all dave Chappelle. yeah yeah we are like i said uh oh yeah since we're gonna go ahead and since we got already talking about it uh in the next few weeks we will be doing a Chappelle show show uh, show by Chappelle Show. We're also going to have guests for our Chappelle Show show. I've actually got uh, one lined up on my end. I think we can get Flobo on your end uh, back here again. I know, I know, I know, I know. Laren wants to do it again. So well, good to bring Flobo in because with, with you and Laren, you guys both come at it from a sketch comedy perspective because you guys have been doing that for a while. But mm-hmm. I mean, he's a stand-up, uh, which you know, if you guys want to look something up. I mean, check out Flobo's channel. He's got some of his stand-up stuff you can see on YouTube and the rest of it. Um, but, uh, I mean, he, he's going to come at it from a different angle, I think, than, you know, the, the three of us. I mean, even you and me being as big a fans, comedy geeks, mm-hmm. are, um, you know, having never done stand-up uh, remotely, Flobo's been touring. He's been doing some of that stuff. He's, he's working, paying his dues. He's going to have an angle on that uh, it should be refreshing. So I'm really hopeful we got this. Yeah, we're gonna have one more show before the Chappelle show show. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, we're going to discuss that actually after this podcast. But yeah, uh, let's go ahead and uh, we got we to talk about this. Uh, the death of Chris Farley. Now, he has one quote before I, he said, and I quote, I want to live fast and die young. Chris Farley actually said that. Yeah. Now, in the final years of his life, he actually sought treatment for obesity and drug abuse on 17 different occasions. Yeah. Uh, in 1997, there was a very visible decline in his health. He actually did a guest appearance on All That on Nickelodeon. I remember that, too. He played, like, the chef with Keenan Thompson. Keenan Thompson had the chef character where all he, all he cooked was chocolate. And yeah. uh, Chris Farley played a chef where all he cooked was everything was, like, with ketchup or some shit like that. And it was, it was, it was cool, though. It was- but... Uh, yeah, it was one of the few all that sketches that was original content because they did a lot of uh, a lot of uh, co-op re-envisioning of stuff from you know in Living Color or SNL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it actually kept his physical stuff to a minimum on his appearance on all that because it was very noticeable that he was wheezing heavily and he was straining, pretty much straining himself to perform. Well, and, now, he also. Another thing you got to keep in mind too is if he came in with his, I mean, obviously there was physical restriction for him in terms of what he could do because of that decline he had. But the other thing, too, you got to keep in mind is if you had him come in full Chris Farley with those kids, and I mean, I know I watched all that a lot growing up. We haven't talked about it that much. Like, from our conversations, I feel like you watched it a fair amount. Um, yeah. The sketch comedy show that it was, if he came in even 50% full Chris Farley, um, it would have overshadowed everything else that was happening. And I think probably scared the hell out of all those kids. Probably would have, yeah. Um. Now we got to talk about it. On uh, December eighteenth, nineteen ninety-seven, Chris Farley died of a heroin and cocaine mixture overdose, a speedball, uh, in his apartment in Chicago, where his body was actually found by his brother John the next day. Uh, Chris, at that point, was two hundred and ninety-six pounds, and that was a contributing factor to his death too. But according to his autopsy, alcohol, marijuana, and Prozac were all found in his system as well. Uh, they had a private funeral for Chris on December 23rd, 1997 at Our Lady Queen of Peace Catholic Church in his hometown of Madison, Wisconsin. Over 500 people attended the funeral, including many of the comedians that he worked with. Uh, that included Dan Aykroyd, um, Adam Sandler, Chris Rock, Lauren Michaels, John Goodman, George Wendt, and Phil Hartman. Uh, most notably absent, of course, like we talked about earlier, was David Spade because of the fact he was, you know, he, just, he was just too hurt yeah. uh, from the whole get down. He found it emotionally too difficult to see the corpse of his longtime friend. Uh, following his death, Chris Farley's body was interred at Resurrection Cemetery in Madison, Wisconsin. Now, uh, since the death of Chris Farley, there have been many tributes that like we mentioned to Chris Farley, in, mainly in film, but like what? Just one one quick note, if, if I remember correctly, my girlfriend at the time was the last person to see him alive, and uh, they they'd had a fight of some some sort, and she was she was mad and she was getting ready to leave, and uh, if I remember correctly from what I remember hearing, his last word was something along the lines of, "Please don't leave me." Um, just again, yeah, yeah. That, uh, that inner demon that he was always fighting, that self worth issue that he always had, that that's. Again, it's a really sad hallmark, unfortunately, a lot of comedic geniuses where, you know, there was, he was always just looking for that acceptance and that love, and he just was always short. He was never able to get it where he felt like, you know, he was, he was good enough or people saw him for who he really was. 
So it's just yeah. one of those, you know, I hate to, to bring it in, but I feel like it's important to kind of keep in mind. Uh, you know, most of us, we only ever see, we only ever see the laughs and the applause they get. We don't understand what's happening behind the scenes and what's really going on. It's easy to forget that you know, these guys are people. You know, the comedian, yep. you want to react, just the real, real folks with real emotions and real stuff. And just you know, it's a tragedy, really, that it had to end this way. Exactly. Yeah. And like I said, there have been many tributes and award, awards and stuff given to Chris uh, after his death. Now, notably, uh, on the SNL anniversary shows, most notably SNL 25 and the most recent SNL 40th anniversary, they both have done tributes to Chris Farley on the show. Um, there's an autobiography, uh, authorized biography of Chris Farley, the Chris Farley show written by his brother Tom and Tanner Colby. Uh, the TV special that we talked about, the documentary I Am Chris Farley, was produced uh, on uh, August 10th, 2015. It featured a lot of his friends. We talked about Tom Arnold, Chris Rock, Adam Sandler, if people of that nature who all <clears throat> contributed to it. Uh, Chris Farley was posthumously awarded a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame at 6366 uh, Hollywood Boulevard in Hollywood, California on August 26, 2005. His star is actually located in front of what used to be I.O. West. Uh, well, I.O. West is not there anymore, but the star is still in that area. Uh, and we talked about it earlier, the song Purple Stain by the Red Hot Chili Peppers includes the lyric, Farley is an angel and I can prove this as a tribute to Chris Farley. Uh, and most notably, and actually we watched this a couple of days ago too, it's, it still gets me. In 2018, Adam Sandler wrote and performed a tribute song to Chris Farley for his stand-up special, Adam Sandler, 100% Fresh. Uh, this, this, uh, the Netflix actually released a performance on YouTube later to commemorate the 21st anniversary of Chris Farley's death, and Sandler performed it on an episode of SNL that he hosted last year in May, and brought down the house, man. He really did. And like, it really, like, you watch it, and you remember all the fun parts of Farley. You can see Adam Sandler, in both times, is really fighting to get through the song, because he's talking about his yeah, you know what I'm and it's a beautiful song, man. Like, uh, have you seen my boy Chris Farley? Yeah, it's a great song, man. Yeah, and he's talking about you know, I'm the lyrics are like uh, him always trying to get laid, and you know, and uh, torture. Like, he's always trying to get laid, and then uh, I love how you torture David Spade and shit like that. <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, it's such a great comedian. Me personally, the first thing I remember ever seeing. Chris Farley and to kind of wrap this whole thing up was, well, actually the Chippendales thing was the very first thing I've ever seen of Chris Farley. And I remember I was a little kid when I watched that shit. I was laughing so fucking hard because I was like, this, this fat dude is funny. Like that's that's, that's, that's what my first thought was this fat because I'm a little kid. I'm like, this fat dude is funny. And then of course he would eventually go on to all the great movies that he would do, like Tommy Boy. And I had so many great quotes. I was actually thinking about the cow tipping scene, for Tommy Boy. <laughs> Earlier today, we was like, what you do is you put your shoulder into him, push, and he fall over. <laughs> and Rob Lowe was like, I don't know, doesn't that strike you as kind of dumb? Oh, we've been doing tons of dumb stuff together. Wait till Christmas. Hey, we're family. We're going to be doing lots of dumb stuff together. Yeah, dude, we're doing tons of dumb stuff together. <laughs> it's always, my brother! He's like, drags him out. I love you, brother. <laughs> He's like, yeah, covered in mud and shit. She was Italian. They're worth more than your life. Man, I, I just got doused in mud. 
hey, Chuck him. Don't smell like mud. <laughs> he like hit him with the water. Oh, yeah. I hit him with the water. Oh, it's cold. I'm a maniac, maniac. Oh, no, no. And I'm dancing like I never danced before. And he hits him with the face and shit. Like, did you eat paint chips as a kid? <laughs> Why? <laughs> <laughs> or, or the shit that always kills me is the bank scene in Tommy Boy. He's like, which way up? Listen up, this all it takes a second. Everybody's like, it's gotta go. <laughs> they all dive in the ground and they think it's a robbery. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the little kid is like, hey, that's the dude that robbed the bank. I didn't rob no bank. Yeah, here's just some other fat guy with a tiny head. I got a tiny head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Oh man! Security guards—they throw their guns over to him as soon as he came in. No, but then they interviewed the cops afterwards. He came out of the shadows behind me, and he beat me many, many times in the head. You know, with a hammer. I had to give him a gun. You know, I had kids. <laughs> Fucking liar! Well, and then again, the cameos. Dan Aykroyd's cameo. Oh yeah, uh, Zelensky. Yeah. I make car parts for the American working man because that's who I am. And that's what I care about. He got that Chicago accent down to a fucking science, bro. Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> oh, yeah, with the, uh, oh, we, no, when they in the elevator. A little heavy on the uh, pine tree perfume there. Uh, sir, it's a taxi cab air freshener. Good, it's a pinpointer. Step two is washing it off. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> yeah, Dan Aykroyd was, that was a great cameo. Tall as, you, like, you, you watch the movie, you see how fucking tall Dan Aykroyd is. Well, and, and I mean, again, when you realize Farley's only five, because if yeah. you <laughs> have you ever seen that um, that interview he did with, uh, with Conan? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. How much taller Conan is than him? Yeah, I saw that. Then you see when when San, when Adam Sandler shows up, the little love. Oh yeah, yes, yeah, Sandler's taller than him too. Dude. It's freaking freaking hilarious. And again, I mean, it's it's one of those things that's really really heartbreaking because you said first when you saw it was Chippendales. For me, it was Matt Foley, followed mm-hmm. almost immediately by Tommy Boy. And then I, I ended yeah. up the catalog later as time went on because, you know, I, I'll, I'll say my parents were probably trying to be a little more discerning um, in what they let me watch as a mm-hmm. kid, which you could argue whether or not that worked out or not, considering my twisted sense of humor now. Yeah, well, my parents were kind of the opposite. They really didn't give a fuck what I watched as long as it wasn't porn. Yeah, so I mean, to the spot where like i mean your parents let you go my parents made me wait we both ended up <laughs> yeah that's basically what it was <laughs> it didn't make too much of a difference i think i think hopefully you know once we get docs made people people will be and be like these guys they've got a they got a screw or two loose <laughs> but that's the that's the point yeah they're off they're off a little bit they're off a little bit there who our comedic heroes were and are from growing up right the Chris Farleys, mm-hmm. the Chris Rocks, the, the, I mean, I'll give David Spade a little bit of the space there, the Eddie Murphys, the, the Richard Pryors, the Dave Chappelle's, I mean. The Steve Martins. Yeah, the Steve Martins, and that's the thing, the Bill Murray's, I mean, yeah. you know, I, I'm not going to take sides because I wasn't there, it doesn't make sense to take sides. I'm going to throw even Chevy Chase in the mix. There's so many guys. Chevy has some moments, yeah, Chevy has some moments. There's so many guys who've done so much comedically that have informed, I think, American-style comedy that, that we have to continue to remind people, go back and watch this. It's because it's, it's almost, an, it's because it's such a specific art form, if you don't have 
a full sense of the history of where we've been and how we got here. And I mean, go all the way back to Laurel and Hardy's, the Smother Brothers, all that stuff, the Red Foxes and everything, and follow it all the way up. It gives you a, a separate sense. And the thing is, there's stuff that you is put in there, jokes that are almost inside jokes that have winks and nods back to the history of the guys that broke ground and got us to where we are now. Because I mean, even the guys that went out and fought some of the censorship because there's no like I'll say this unequivocally if it weren't for the guys that fought all the censorship wars in the 1960s on there's no way in hell we could be looking off so I don't ever consider that that get made because it's the censors dream to be able to sit there and cross shit off and before we sign off on that I actually want to share a couple of my favorite lines since you brought up Chevy um, I didn't like the movie Fletch Lives that much, but I do like one particular scene where he's like uh, in a prison, and he's actually in prison with what's that actor uh, Randall Tex Cobb, and uh, Randall Tex Cobb's in there like he's like this weird ass dude. He's got like makeup on and shit, and he's like uh like uh what's your name? He's, he's telling Chip Chase bend over, Ben. Nice to meet you, Ben. But then he leaves. Apparently, he's apparently the guy was in prison for raping a horse. <laughs> so they so he, they released the guy, and as he's leaving, he tur- Chevy Chase turns. I was like, Ben, if I don't get a car from you on Valentine's Day, I'm gonna be very upset. <laughs> Just shit like that. I like little weird shit. Like, oh, to go to Steve Martin. Uh, Steve was like, uh, you know, all over one was an honest week's pay for an honest day's work. Yeah. <laughs> or even better, from Bowfinger, we talk about permission. Like, like uh, no, we don't have what permission. Did you know Tom Cruise didn't know he's in that vampire movie till two years later? <laughs> or we can even go to uh, what's another one? Mike Myers with him and Stacy in uh, Wayne's World. Like <laughs> happy anniversary, Wayne. Stacy we broke up six months ago. That doesn't mean we can't see each other. Yes, it does. That's actually what breaking up is. And the, the present, like, are you gonna open it? Is this a, if it's a separate body part, I'm gonna be very upset. <laughs> I like that line. <laughs> and then she opens it up. It was like. What is it? It's a gun rack. A gun rack. A gun rack. Yeah, right. I don't even own a gun, let alone many guns that will necessitate an entire rack. What am I going to do with a gun rack? You don't like it? Fine. You know, one of these days when you're going to lose me. I lost you six months ago. (laughs) Get the net. I, I like I love cleverly written lines and great executed lines. Now, and of course, you know Steve Martin. I was born a poor black child. Where are you now, Steve? <laughs> it's never been easy for me. Yeah, I my my wife had mentioned it before because I've I've always had a rule for the longest time. There were certain movies I refused to watch <coughs> with anyone. That um, that I didn't have a long term relationship with because my my concern, especially when I was still dating, and everything I didn't want to taint things that I loved by having memories of watching them or experiencing them with, with other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like the Blues Brothers or something. Because there's there's films that they mean to me personally. I've only watched them by myself with really mm-hmm. close friends or with my my parents, or my family. So I finally got my wife to watch The Jerk after we got married, because I you know, want to make sure it's, it's, it's going the distance. And uh, I mean, here's the thing, it's, 
you know it's a comedy that has an older style. Yes, it does. It's not. It's not Tropic Thunder. It doesn't have that same pacing. It's a longer. It's a longer burn. It's not like a explosion. It's a long burn that has little explosions throughout, and then you get the big at the end, right? Someone <laughs> like her, where it's not her style, she was able to tell me she appreciated it. There were things about it that she found fun. Find a position now where at least I can make certain references to things in that film that she'll actually be able to pick up on. And for me, it actually is made for for a much uh, much more um, more vibrant relationship <laughs> because you and I. I mean, this is one of the things that we got to to being friends on is that we can quote movies back and forth to each other. I mean, long time listeners of podcasts will know. One of the first times we sat down, we basically were going back and forth with fucking Major Pain and Chappelle mm-hmm. for the first two hours. That's all we talked about, which is mm-hmm. those, those two concepts and those two shows because it's just packed full of so much great comedic timing and great comedic moments. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying in general for any of our listeners that haven't watched a lot of these old flicks, go and watch by the actor, right? So if you want to go ahead and move back to the beginning, start at 48 hours and watch on through. Maybe you can skip more of it. Maybe, but at least watch stuff up through the '90s. Same thing goes for anybody across the board. Pick a David Chappelle, pick you know Murray, anybody. At least watch that early stuff when they were coming through and they were doing a ton of comedy. Where it was all you know, high concept, Murray stripes, something like that, because it improved. I think your uh, your comedic uh, vocabulary, for lack of a better term. Yeah. All right, so we're going to go ahead and wrap this thing up. Uh, uh, we really hope you've enjoyed this episode. We're happy to be back. Uh, and like I said, we're going to be back next week. Uh, we're going to announce our show We're going to announce our show on our social media. So if you can follow us on Dropping That Culture on the uh, Dropping That Culture Facebook page. Uh, you can also uh, click on and subscribe to the Dropping That Culture YouTube page. And again, you can follow uh, AJ, uh, particularly AJ's brand, U.S. Hooker. Go to U.S. Hooker for your rugby needs and also for your rugby news. Get yourself some U.S. Hooker merch. And you can also go to teespring.com and go to the Belserverse store to sell some Belserverse merch. And also go to the Belserverse page on uh, Facebook and also the Belserverse group on YouTube, uh, also on Facebook, and the Belserverse Instagram page. They're all over the place. And uh, you can also follow me, Jadaro Belser, the Belser, T-H-E-B-E-L-S-E-R, on all forms of social media. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And uh, like I said, we guys uh, really hope you enjoyed the show. And we're going to go ahead and wrap this up now. So this has been Dropping That Culture with J.D. and A.J. I'm J.D. I'm A.J. See you guys next week. Peace. Dropping That Culture. 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 Dropping that coach. Dropping that coach. Dropping that coach. Dropping that coach. Dropping that coach.